From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 361. Today's show is brought to you by Privacy, Squarespace, Calm, and Hello. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. I'm joining you as always, Mike. As always, no change as to always. that. always. You're always nope. here. I am always, I have been on every episode of Upgrade up to now, including yep. this episode. Including this very episode, and nothing will change that. Why, why, would I, why would we even mention that? That's strange. It is weird to spend so much time talking about that. About something that's just been a given for 361 just episodes. Like, why, why even mention it? thing. It's weird. Oh, well. We should probably stop talking about it. It's, it's also not, a shame. because it's the summer of fun. You know? Oh, no, there's nothing summer of fun today. No? Regular well, I mean, episode. Technically, it's the, I heard the music. Technically, it is the summer of fun. But we haven't got anything special. It's just me and you. Super normal episode. Nothing different's <laughs> going to happen in the middle. Right. As, regular. As we usually say on this podcast, super normal. Regular just super normal. episode with regular. no differences. But enough about that, Mike. How about a hashtag Snell Talk question for of me? Of course, like every episode. Matthew asks, Matthew doesn't always ask this. Every episode we have one. <laughs> this time, Matthew's question is... I'm really how, tired of the Snell Talk question being the same have every to single answer time, it Mike. Because Matthew won't stop. How do you arrange oh. your apps on your Apple Watch? Do you use the grid, which is dubbed the honeycomb by many? Honeycomb? Or the list? Well, this is... This is an easy one. The moment the list was available, I switched to the list and I used yeah. the list because I hate the grid. I think it's too small. It's I think it's confusing. Mm-hmm. I, I Alphabetical list for me. Alphabetical all the way. If you would like this, that was a very easy one. Very nice equipment today. I was going to throw in. Okay. I actually would like the option to do that on uh, App Library too. Never see the folders? Not to complain about App Library, but I don't find those folders useful. Okay. I don't find the app library like, oh, we've categorized your apps in various ways that you weren't involved with and you can use it to browse. Like, if you like that, great. I'm glad it works for you. It apparently works for whoever invented it at Apple, but I, I find it useless and I would really rather, I think, have an alphabetical like list on that page as an mm. option because I would choose that. I think I would like it too. I do use it, but I think if I had the choice, I would go to default to show me the list. Immediately, I think. If you would like to send in a Snell Talk to question to help us open an episode of the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag Snell Talk or use question mark Snell Talk in the Relay FM members Discord. I would like, we would like to thank everybody who purchased an Upgrade Summer of Fun t-shirt yes. over at UpgradeYourWardrobe.com. Depending on when you're listening to this episode, uh, if you are listening on Monday the 12th, it will be available until 5 p.m. Eastern time, so you may be able to just squeeze in an order. Um, if you didn't and you missed out, be faster next time. Uh, thanks to everyone who did buy one. Uh, we hope that you enjoy them when they arrive, uh, hopefully in time for you to have some summer days. We'll come back. Oh, uh, great news, everybody. It's actually... 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. You just got three hours deadline. more. So you got three more hours to do it. So if you are a, a, a first-day listener to Upgrade, um, you still got time to get that sweet Summer of Fun t-shirt and also the other Dong- Dongletown shirts. Yeah. Let's do uh, some upstream. But there's actually been an article that you've wanted to talk about for a while. Um, it's yeah. kind of like a special segment. Sure. Summer of Fun? Yeah, sure. Uh, Josef Adalian uh, at Vulture spoke with a selection. Okay. I always think of him as Joe Adalian, but w- yeah, whatever. Okay. Well, you know, I was going with Joseph. Yeah, maybe it is. It's an interesting spelling of Joseph that I'm not too familiar with. Uh, we'll it's, go with okay. Joseph or Joseph. 
at Vulture spoke of a selection of Hollywood insiders to get That's a sense right. for how the industry is currently perceiving which streaming service is the most powerful or influential yeah. right now. So this is this is this is cool because what what uh Joe's Joe has done is whatever is now I'm confused. We're gonna go with Joe. Let's just go with Joe, okay? TV Mojo. What uh-huh. TV Mojo has done is um not a financial analysis of estimated number of subscriptions. It's not a critic's analysis of who's got the best content. It's we talk to people who work in the business about how the streamers are perceived in the business. And that means like it's an interesting perspective because it combines sort of what's the buzz it combines what is perceived as being a success and also sort of how people in Hollywood sort of rank their preference in terms of, I think, maybe even up to like who they would work with. Um, and it, along the way, beyond the ranking, I think it's really interesting to see how people who this is their business view how it's going for all of these streamers. So I have a list of seven. I picked out some of the uh, what I thought were the key kind of opinions uh, levied by these insiders. Mm-hmm. They were all unnamed, and they're people that work yes. somewhere in Hollywood or maybe in Wall Street, but in the Hollywood kind of sphere of Wall Street. Right. You know, maybe their investment or something. Right, and the, and the the opinions varied. I thought like the people who are outside of Hollywood but are more like money people had sort of different opinions than the people who are inside, and that, I think that's instructive. But too, it was ve- it was very interesting for that yeah. idea. So. Uh, in at number seven, which is the bottom, is Peacock. Uh, mm. Needs more money for content and marketing, is well-liked by talent, and also has poor international offerings. Yeah. Um, it's funny that we're recording this. Uh, now we're, we're a week and a half away from the Olympics. Peacock was meant to launch with the Olympics as its launch strategy, and the Olympics got delayed a year. Mm-hmm. So, and the story mentions this, it's like the Olympics might get people into Peacock that are not there now. Yeah. But yeah, there's this feeling like uh, one of the people said that they've got a Mike Schur show and a Tina Fey show, and it still doesn't seem to be making much of an impact. Mm-hmm. And those shows are pretty good, by the way. Rutherford Falls and Girls 5 Eva are actually pretty good. Like there's good content and AP Bio is on there, which is a Peacock original now, which is a show I really like. I think Peacock's actually got some interesting content going on. But like I said, it sort of feels like there's not a lot there in terms of the original content and the marketing hasn't been there. I imagine the Olympics is going to see their enormous Peacock marketing push. Um, NBC is also experimenting. They they took a, the Giants Phillies baseball series a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and they moved that off of the cable channels and onto Peacock. And it was very much a sort of let's see if we can encourage people to try Peacock out kind of situation. So, um, and they but also I do have think their the, partnership with the WWE as well, right? So, and, and uh, there's a lot of soccer. A lot mm-hmm. of, uh, especially the English Premier League, is some of that's on NBC's broadcast channels and cable channels, but a, lo- a lot of that stuff is on Peacock now. They moved it from their other kind of streaming that they were doing. Well, like by talent is an interesting note because I think that's the idea here that NBC Universal is actually really well known and has good relationships with talent. Um, that's not the issue, right? Like they're they're not a bad group to do business with, but you your your concern is that you're going to make a show for Peacock and then it's going to fall off the 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 map 
when you do that. Like, yep. is anybody talking about Rutherford Falls? Is anybody talking about Girls 5 Eva? And the answer is, I don't know, a little bit. Uh, those are fun shows, but they're on Peacock, and maybe somebody will discover them at some point. Um, but it's early days yet, I guess, for Peacock. But this is brutal. Like, there's some encouraging talk here, but I mean, it's seven of seven. It's it, that's rough. It's pretty rough. Hulu. Uh, I love this comment. Why does Disney need two streaming services? <laughs> Which is a yeah, very so, good point. Several people basically said, "I don't see why this needs to exist, and why it isn't going to end up being the Star Tab." on Disney Plus, or Mm -hmm. maybe in the U.S. they'll actually call it the Hulu tab. But for those people who don't know, there is a service that Disney owns in the rest of the world called Star that what Disney is doing is it's it's got more adult content on it. It's not just the Disney branded stuff and they've created this star tab essentially inside We have star. Yeah, inside the Disney Plus app. And that's where that other stuff lives. But it's not everything that's on Hulu though. No, because Hulu was originated as a way for legacy broadcasters to put stuff on streaming and, and they all kind of went in on it together mm-hmm. and that's breaking up. But what's what's gonna be left is some catalog content, but also all of this kind of original material that isn't a great fit for the Disney brand. And it feels like ultimately, I think I I agree with the sentiment in this article, like ultimately it doesn't make sense for Hulu to exist and that it's probably going to just fade into a tab in Disney Plus. Even if the app persists, that they're going to really kind of focus it on like one app that has all this content in it in one place. They they made a, there's a comment in there about uh, FX on Hulu, which is the idea that they're taking... John Landgraf, who's the development executive who powers the FX and FXX cable channels, and they he's been developing shows that are originals on Hulu. Um, and somebody in the article basically says they got to give it up, which I thought was funny. I was like, well, why? Uh, but but yeah, there is a kind of question of what's the coherent strategy here for Disney, especially given that they have Disney Plus, um, and you you've tucked this content into Disney Plus under a you know adult tab basically like not just for, not for it's a, we say adult and people are like oh adult it's like a, not for kids right it's got mm-hmm. edgier stuff that's not for kids um why wouldn't you just do that in the u.s so the, like what i read from hulu the comment about hulu was really like why does this exist <laughs> right yeah. it's more more existential questions about hulu number five is apple tv plus which i think it's probably higher than I would have expected, but reading the comments made me think that it should be higher than five. Yeah, I think the comments are very much in line with you, which is people really are actually thinking Apple TV Plus is doing better than they thought, but that wasn't enough for it. Also, um, the 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 article's structure and the point totals that it, because he kind of did this on, on a point system. And so you ended up with... Um, like certain categories were like catalog and there isn't any. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, 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 Apple TV didn't score as well, but they did. The comments were pretty positive in the sense of like, this is promising. And in fact, one, one person said they're aiming to be the HBO of streaming video on demand, which we've talked about for a few years now that that seems to be absolutely 
Apple strategy mm -hmm. is high-quality originals. That's what the whole promise is, is high-quality originals. And the people quoted in the article are like, they're, they got the money, they are spending the money well, they're making good decisions, they're doing better than we thought, but there needs to be more. Like, they need more breakthroughs, they need more Ted Lassos, they need more of that kind of thing to break through. But but yeah, pretty positive stuff about Apple TV+. Plus. I feel like what they want Apple to do, and I think it's, you know, what we would ask them to do too, is to basically do what Disney's doing, where it's like, you have hit show after hit show, and as soon as one ends, yeah. another one starts. You don't have to have 20 shows going on at once, but you have to have something happening all the time that makes people stay subscribed. And they do have loads of content that's coming. Like, not loads, but they have, they have content rolling out all the time, but it isn't all of that top-tier quality of, say, The Morning Show, um, For All Mankind, Ted Lasso. Right. I would say Mythic Quest in that one, but maybe it's not as popular. So a studio exec said the arrow's going up and says, I was dubious, but they're one massive hit away from becoming real, which I think I think that's about right. Like Ted Lasso mm -hmm. was a breakthrough, but like what's the next step? What's the thing that pushes them over the edge? And it, they haven't quite got there yet, but they could get there. I guess they're hoping for foundation, right? Apple. Well, right. Right, and a bunch of people are saying, "Look, they've got the money; they're spending it. They'll fulfill, they're fulfilling their side of the bargain." Um, uh, one PR exec said, "They need more, but I have to think they will get many, many chances." Right? So the idea is, Apple has so much money that if they keep trying and keep pushing here, they will eventually get the thing that they're seeking. Um, it is funny that they talked to two Wall Street analysts, one of whom said this product is in need of a reason to exist, and the other one said, "Dollar for dollar, it's the most impressive content slate since they launched." And that's the one who said they're the, trying to be the HBO of streaming video on demand. And so, yeah, I agree with you that. know, Wall Street analysts are split. And actually, I think I could agree with both of those statements because on one level, it's sort of like this product doesn't need to exist, but mm -hmm. Apple's decided they're going to do it and they're doing a pretty good job. So, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Maybe that person thought they were talking about the Apple TV box, you know? I don't so know. Confusing. Could be. I don't like the remote, <laughs> said Wall Street analyst. <laughs> uh, number four is Amazon Prime Video. And like the comments of this one is what made was surprising to me because it seemed like they were much more negative about Prime yeah. Video. Um, that Amazon executives are a pain to deal with, which we could have guessed from that book, right? We were talking about a few weeks ago. <laughs> but apparently when they make a decision, they go all in on it. And that's what people respect about them. Their promotional efforts are bad. Like they have stuff, they have like, I think they were referencing like an Oscar winning director working on a show. Um, I think it was a director. I don't remember off the top of my head, but they had Oscar winners working on a show and nobody knew anything about it. Oh, this is the this is Barry Jenkins's show. Yeah, this is this is something that I've heard before. And when I was doing TV Talk Machine uh, with Tim Goodman, we talked about this a lot. That a lot of people in Hollywood, the the frustration they have with streaming video is that uh, is in promotion and is making that ripple where people are talking about it. Mm -hmm. And if you and this is one of the knocks on Netflix too is that there's so much on Netflix that you produce it and does anyone know? And this set about Amazon Prime Video is perfect, which is like. Oscar winner Barry Jenkins just did a show for them and it was like a tree falling in the forest with no one to witness. Like that is a challenge with all of these services. It's the advantage Apple has in not having too many originals is that they can really put their promotion behind them. But it may the volume play may work. It works for Netflix in a lot of ways, but it doesn't make friends in Hollywood if you're seen as being kind of like just filling in what is extruded out of the Netflix pipe this week. Right. 
They want to feel special. And I would argue that there's value in, like, if you're going to spend all this money making this thing, you want to promote it so that people Mm -hmm. know it exists and they see it. And you have this show from an Oscar winner and nobody even knows that it exists. That's not great. They referred to Amazon, though, as a sleeping giant. Mm -hmm. Like, they have all this money and they have stuff in the wings. Right. Like, that's the thing is they haven't spent a lot of money yet or or maybe more truthful is they are spending that money rapidly now, but we haven't seen all of it yet. Yes. But it seems like the like Lord of the Rings is an example of this, right? Like they're they have a lot of power. So I, I think this is one of those cases where Amazon ranks highly more for its potential because of the power of Amazon than anything else, because it does sort of feel like its current state is kind of like its great advantage is that. Netflix did all the hard work to establish this category and then Amazon just kind of rolled into it and that was a lot less effort, but that they, they have for, for a company this powerful, they ought to be doing more. And I think that's about right. Like I watch some stuff on prime video, but very rarely, like it is one of my least watched streaming services and, and it shouldn't be that way. Like it shouldn't be that way. My my thing about them is it's almost impossible to browse the app. It's so bad. Yeah. Like the the app is so hard to deal with because they're also trying to sell you stuff. And they're trying to sell you stuff, yeah, which I think is a mistake. I, yeah. I feel like they need to do the Apple uh T V thing it's and like things. have an originals, a real like originals interface that is totally separate um from the sales interface, but instead they kinda intermingle them. I think they have something called included with Prime, maybe. But it's just, it's a mesh. It's, I don't like that yeah. app. It's just not very helpful. Well, and I search and I find things that are, oh, they do have this. Oh, no, they don't. They want to sell this exactly. to me. I don't want to buy it. I just want to stream it. That's frustrating. Number three is HBO Max. Uh, huh. the, the brand has been tainted, but it's still an important one, especially to create as HBO is important. Um, and they have great content with some more on the way. But HBO Max itself needs some awards for that kind of like extra acclaim uh, and yeah. believe they will get them. So this is interesting because for all of the, the tumult around HBO and HBO Max and AT&T and all of that, the, the truth is HBO is still executing with high quality content and HBO Max is finding its way, right? They quote an agent as saying, you know, flight uh, the flight attendant and hacks are two HBO Max originals that really could have been on HBO and have uh, done a good job of finding a niche. Hacks is great. Um, and then Mayor of Easttown, which is on HBO proper, uh, also really good. They're all going to clean up at the Emmys. Um, so like creatively, I think the feeling is that HBO is actually executing pretty well. Um, the challenge is that HBO Max is also about volume, as the studio exec says, um, which means just by the nature of not being uh, entirely about quality, but also being about volume, it makes it, as the exec says, not as niche, not as cool. And that is, that's their challenge, right? Is how do you build an HBO Max brand that is more expansive and yet still has some of the cachet of, um, of HBO? And it's a, a different version of Amazon's problem, right? Which is how do you do, uh, this prestige high quality original thing and also have kind of your volume business. And can you bring those together? Can you separate them? How does that work? But, um, but yes, for a, a service that's been kicked around a lot, uh, here it is at number three with fairly positive words from the people involved. That's, I think that maybe shows you how, how Hollywood views HBO still. 
I, I see this as two things. One, they probably do have, outside of Disney, maybe the best just in quality of catalog. Like, the catalog's uh-huh. so good because HBO's stuff is so good. Plus, they brought in some extras like Friends or whatever, right? Like, right. They have a great catalog. And it, I think at the moment, they're just riding on that name, but they've got to back that up, right? They're riding on right. that HBO name in the well, industry. The advantage that they've got is that they do have this content generation engine that ha- that is HBO mm-hmm. that has been generating a lot of great content, and they've been handed more money to generate more of it and put it on the streaming service. And so they've got a lot of potential, right? I think that that's maybe what the Wall Street analyst who's quoted in this article is saying, which is they've got a lot of potential because they've got this great library and they've got the content machine. They just need to you know, spend the money to generate more of that stuff, but that they they have a lot of potential here despite all of the hiccups in, that have gone into launching HBO Max. Number two is Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. They've had an unparalleled success rate since launch with the content that they've been producing. They understand scale or marketing better than anybody else. They have realized that they need more content and they're executing on that. Mm-hmm. And they were very smart to not drop four series at once, the Netflix model, because they dominate weekly conversation online. And again, this is from the perspective of people in the biz and not necessarily consumers. But I think that that I agree with that statement about they're smart to not drop things yes. uh, in a in a in a binge, but instead mm-hmm. do it weekly. But you can see that, especially from Hollywood's perspective, having the conversation be dominated like it matters. Big, it yes, goes big. back to that that statement about nobody talking about the Amazon release like Having people talk, I think it matters to everyone. I think it's a great mm-hmm. way to do marketing. But if you're in the business, it really matters that every week people are talking about whatever show got dropped on Disney+. Plus. Um, you know, they say bet against Star Wars and Marvel at your own risk. We've talked about this, and I think it is important. Like, franchises really help. Like, if you don't have a franchise, it's hard. And um, Disney owns a lot of the big franchises, and this is this is kind of the challenge that they've got. Um, the, I thought that these positive statements were also really interesting because just as we said, Apple seemed like it is, is, uh, more low rated than it should be based on the tenor of the comments. I think that's the equivalent of an up arrow. It's kind of like on its way up. Mm-hmm. Disney plus is ranked number two, but I would say is rated number one. <laughs> like, yeah. it feels very much like the only reason Disney Plus isn't number one is that they haven't been out as long as Netflix. Yep, 100%. They just don't have as big enough catalog. They have a lot of stuff, right? But they don't have... I think what Disney Plus is, for me, is really missing is a lot of TV shows. There are a lot of movies, but they don't have a lot of TV shows. Obviously, that right. is what they are 100% focusing on now, it feels like, right? Rightly so. They're doing a great job. Um we spoke about before, there's been varying quality of the stuff that they've released, but it's all been good to great. You know, they haven't mm-hmm. released something bad yet. I appreciated that the Wall Street analyst who said um, they have quickly realized they need more content and that the other analyst said, watch out, amazing success with a limited amount of content. And so the idea here is they are... Hmm. Like we complained about early on about how Disney Plus seemed to be leaning way too heavily on their library and not on their originals. But I think that's a function of them wanting to get out there as quickly as possible. And the best way to do that was with the Disney Vault. And so they launched a service that was mostly catalog just because it got them out there fast. But that the perception in Hollywood is now they understand the game they need to play. They need to play as original material and they're going to do it. And they're already starting to execute on it. And once they, they get that, up that machine running at full blast 
they will be hard to compete with. And I think that's true. I think that is absolutely true. And then the last one, of course, is Netflix, referred to as the Kleenex of TV. Oh, talk about damning with your praise. It's like they're they're ubiquitous, which is great, except once you're number one and you're ubiquitous, it's boring. you're also kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, some uh, so I'll echo that with uh, Netflix in the industry is not considered sexy anymore. They're like Walmart. Yeah, and the idea that unless you're the big show that Netflix mm-hmm. is choosing to promote, nobody knows you're there. And no. again, if you're viewing this from the perspective of, I want to make deals, I want to sell my show, because um, you're in the business, there's this feeling that like unless you can make an A-list deal with Netflix, they're kind of like your first choice and your last choice, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, first is, can I be A-list at Netflix? And like, if I can't be, maybe I want to be somebody else's A-list before I go back to just being in the pipe, right? In that that yep. extrusion of content, in the weekly extrusion. Because like, it's money and you're on Netflix and that's good and maybe some good will come of it. But you probably would rather be a heavily promoted show on HBO Max or Apple TV Plus or Peacock even than being a not promoted show that gets dumped on a Friday by Netflix. And they seem to cancel quite a lot of stuff that otherwise I think should work. Like a good example of this for me is Next in Fashion, which was hosted by Alexa Chung and Tan France. It's a, they did one season of it. It was like a um, fashion show competition thing, kind of like a um, Project Runway type deal. Mm -hmm. And it had one season and they canceled it. And it's kind of like, if you like Queer Eye is one of your biggest shows. You should be able to make anything with any of the Queer Eye hosts work. But it seemed like they weren't really marketing it. And I feel like I've seen a lot of people that make Netflix shows talk about like, please watch it and share it with your friends, right? Like, right. you know. They're doing and, their own marketing because yeah. they're afraid that they're going to be completely missed. And that's the danger. And, and we, like, I like Next in Fashion. It was, re- it was a very good reality, like, reality competition show. And Netflix knows, like, within a few weeks, Netflix has made it, it's canceling shows after they're, like, on for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, you know, they don't even get a chance to find an audience. Mm-hmm. Because they know that basically if you aren't found immediately, you'll never be found. And yet, if you don't get promoted enough, uh, it's it's a real conundrum because there is a reality producer quoted in this story who basically says, this is where you want to go because the budgets are great. They're easy to work with. And everybody, even your grandparents know what Netflix is, the producer says. And I I think that especially for reality where you want to have kind of a broad appeal and you're used to getting bad budgets, that Netflix would be a good place to go. I think it is a real live by the sword, die by the sword kind of situation, though, where you you it's good money, and everybody knows what Netflix is, but also you may realize that you know you get one shot at it, or maybe you get two seasons and then you're gone, mm-hmm. and it's very unlikely that you're going to be the bell of the ball, but you will get your money and make your show and be on Netflix forever, and that's something. Apparently, as well, they've had some um, executive changes and are losing some love in the industry after these, that the new executives uh, are more budget conscious or like t- tougher to work with. Right, that they, they had a uh, head of programming who they, who they said lost a lot of luster and then her successor came in trying to cut prices and 
that would be, you know, that's a frustration to agents. And this agent says also, I don't know why you wouldn't want shows to last longer than three seasons. There's some bafflement there. Because, right, that's another Hollywood thing, right? Which is if you cancel these shows that are successful after three years, like so many people in Hollywood make all their money from a hit show going a long time. And that's when the money's made, like when you're on like season seven. Right. Because you got the leverage. And Mm -hmm. and Netflix seems to be of the opinion that for most of their shows is like, nope, we don't want that. We just want more more one, two, three season shows and then out because then the product is Netflix and not your show. And then Netflix has all the leverage. So I think that's interesting. Um, We should mention... Paramount Plus and Discovery Plus aren't on this list, not because they finished 8th and 9th, but because they decided any platform that hadn't been up for a year, and since Paramount Plus is technically new because it is more than CBS All Access was, they didn't get on this list. But maybe uh, Joe will do this list again next year, and that would be fun. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Privacy.com. Like me, I'm sure you've been there. You've been online. Maybe you've been on social media. You find a product that looks interesting to you. You go to the product page, and you want to buy it. But you're not familiar with that company. Maybe they're using a checkout process you've not seen before. And you think, is this cool? Can I give these people my card info? Is that going to be a problem for me? Well, privacy is a tool that makes managing your financial life online while keeping your most important information secure. It makes it so easy to do this. By generating virtual numbers, privacy masks your bank information so you never have to worry about giving it out to people you don't know online. So now this problem... It's a thing of the past because you can generate a virtual card number with privacy, put it in with the merchant, and you can buy it no problem. They don't have your actual information. If it turns out to be a problem, you can just cut it off. Super, super simple. I love how easy this is to do. You can take back control of your payments, decide who can charge a card, how much and how often, and you can close those cards at any time. Plus, you can make sure you're never accidentally billed twice or upgraded to another service without your consent. And privacy is also partnered with the good folks over at 1Password, so you can create, use, and save privacy cards directly within your 1Password dashboard. All these virtual cards created in 1Password will have the same security benefits as your other privacy cards, and you can set spend limits, create single-use or merchant lock cards whenever you want. It's so, so easy to do. Makes it a no-brainer. So go to privacy.com slash upgrade and sign up for an account today. New customers automatically get $5 to spend on your first purchase. Go to privacy.com slash upgrade and sign up now. Our thanks to Privacy for the support of this show and Relay FM. All right, so Jason, finally, he's on holiday right now. I've got him off the show, mostly. So he thinks the show's over, but it isn't. I've always been super jealous of the episodes that Jason does when I'm away because he brings in wonderful guests. So that's what I'm going to do for the rest of the episode. Later on in the episode, I'm going to be joined by John Syracuse. We're going to try and understand exactly what John's perfect Mac would be. I'm also going to be joined by Merlin Mann. We're going to check in with Merlin to see what hardware and software products are exciting him right now. I'm having an extravaganza of an episode. But before we do all that, as all Upgradians know, you've got to start with a little warm-up. So we're going to do the first ever hashtag Mike Talk segment. And to help me out, please welcome my friend and podcaster, Jay Miller, to Upgrade. Hi, Jay. Hi, Mike. Happy to be here. So what have you got for me? If you could redesign any tech accessory, what would it be and what would you do with it? I know exactly what this is. I want an Apple Watch that isn't a watch. So I've been wearing my Apple Watch again recently because I'm tracking some fitness stuff. 
but I kind of don't want any of the other features. And I also want to wear the watches that I like the look of more. So I want basically like just a band, like pure fitness tracking. That's all I want. I want all of the sensors that they currently have, plus more of them. And it can interface with my iPhone if I need to get any information from it. Like I was thinking they could basically just make some nice like bracelets that just look like the Apple Watch bands, but just go all the way around, you know, like there's just no watch in the middle of it. And like maybe there could be some way to put a time on it. Like they could have some LEDs that shine through the band if you really wanted that, but you could just turn it off. Like all I want is all of the really great, like the, I always find that the step count is more accurate because I'm always wearing the watch, like where sometimes I'll leave my phone down. The exercise stuff, like I enjoy all of the activity, right? Like the fill in the rings and stuff like that. But I don't always want to wear my Apple Watch every day because I have other watches that I like more. So if I was given the power, I would redesign this product, maybe make another one. Yeah, don't let's not kill the Apple Watch, but just a pure <laughs> like Apple Fitness band. That's what I want. You mentioned filling in the rings. I I actually had the same idea, but instead of a band, it would be just a ring, kind of similar to oh. those like silicon rings. And and some people have tried this before. Yeah, there also there's like there's a sleep tracking one, right? Like there is like a there is a product that does this kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, so I, I think Apple could do it. It would they could make you know a thicker ring, a, a thinner mm-hmm. ring, something that's discreet. Um, but I'm I'm also with you. If if you can't do a ring, just give me a band. I don't mind. I would love a band. I actually have a Series Zero watch that I stopped wearing when the Series like two came out. Um, and I just never got a new one. So I, I'm definitely on board with you there. Jay, thank you so much for that question. I really loved it. It's nice to get questions as soon as you start podcasts. What a novel idea. Maybe hashtag Mike Talk should become a more regular thing. <laughs> Maybe it should. Hey, Jay, you've got something cool coming to Relay FM pretty soon, right? Do you want to tell our listeners about it before uh, we let you go? Absolutely. So... Uh, for those that do know of me, I've been doing productivity stuff for years now, um, never professionally, always as a fan. Mm-hmm. And recently I got with my great friend and unicorn of the internet, Kathy Campbell, and we said, hey, we should do a productivity podcast that doesn't focus on the apps, but focuses on the people and provides the connection between what we'd hope to get done and what ultimately gets done. So I'm happy to announce that coming very, very soon, like this same week, we're going to be releasing our podcast, Conduit, which is full of puns, full of encouragement, full of excitement, and hopefully full of a lot of connections. So you can go and check it out for yourself right now. You go to relay.fm slash conduit and you can subscribe. Go check it out and support this new show that we've got coming here on Relay FM. Jay, thanks so much, man. Absolutely, Mike. Anytime. This episode is brought to you by Calm. Business leaders know that healthy, happy employees create successful companies no matter what industry. And Calm for Business can help your employees be their best selves at work. At Calm, they want to help you kickstart your mental well-being initiatives. Empowering employees to stress less, rest better, and build resilience should be a year-round priority. And with Calm for Business, companies can partner with the number one mental fitness app to provide support and tools for their employees. 
Today, I'm having a pretty busy, stressful day. These are the exact kinds of days where I know how helpful it can be to take a minute and relax so I can better focus on the work I have left to do. And Calm has a ton of great options, whether you're looking for something to help you relax, to center yourself, you know, like a, a guided meditation, or something to help you sleep better after a long day. There really is something for everyone to try. I would think that taking these moments for yourself is really important, and Calm makes that incredibly accessible to do. Calm has a library of content specifically designed to help work teams stress less, sleep better, and build mental resilience. This includes lo-fi music playlists, which I think is awesome for working to, quick breathing breaks, guided meditations, and hundreds of soothing sleep stories to feel relaxed and more prepared for whatever comes your way. They even have programs tailored for mental health and productivity, like their Mindfulness at Work series. Millions of employees at over 600 companies like Lincoln, Iterable, and Universal Studios use Calm for business, and Calm is available globally. Right now, Calm is offering a free well-being ebook for HR and benefit leaders, and one month free after you attend a free demo when you go to calm.com/upgrade. That's right, a free well-being ebook and one month for free after attending a free demo when you go to calm.com/upgrade. Get started today at calm.com/upgrade. Go there now. Our thanks to Calm for their support of this show and Relay FM. John Syracuse, welcome back to Upgrade. Thank you for having me. This is a, a treat for me to have you. Uh, I am with Jason out of the picture this week. I am. Uh, <laughs> that makes it sound like you had him murdered. Like I don't want to say Jason uh, out of the picture. He's gone. I've, I'm so I'm running through all of the things that I want to do, and I was looking back through uh, the, the times that Jason's had you on most recently when I've been away. Because obviously we had a, like a year, more than a year, where you haven't been on the show with Jason because I've been around every single week. Mm. So I was looking through the show notes of those previous episodes, and they all, for the last like three years prior, had all had some reference to our Max. It was like first of like, what could it be like to have an iPhone processor in an iMac? And then like <laughs> that's how that was like in the uh, description of the first one, and it's like for the next two. Are Max, oh, maybe they're coming, because obviously we thought and knew they were coming for a long time. So now that they're here, now that we know what they are, now that we have, I think, a much greater idea of what the future of the Mac can be. So I wanted to know, what is the perfect Mac for John Syracuse as of 2021? Yeah, I hate making car analogies with computers, but I always talk about cars in my other podcast, so it just tends to happen. Um, And I Mm -hmm. think... um, it's tempting to, when considering something like this, to look at the computers I've had in the past, kind of like you'd look at the cars that you've bought in the past and say, what kind of what kind of vehicle would appeal to this person? Well, let's see. It seems like they've owned a series of these things, so we should make another one like it. So if you look at the Macs I've owned or the ones that I really liked, these big tower Macs that I've had, you know, basically since the blue and white G3 when I started buying Apple Towers, like I couldn't afford a 9500 or an 840 AV or a Quadra 700 tilted on its side. So the, the blue and white G3 was my first Tower Mac, and I've pretty much stuck with them since then. So you would think it's like, oh, we've, you know, this computer of your dreams, what would it look like? Oh, it's going to be kind of like the one I'm sitting next to now, some big honking tower with lots of stuff in it. Um, but I think, like, that's that's probably a mistake. Uh, and, you know, what you mentioned about the ARM chips and the new iMac built around the ARM uh, chips, there is a bunch of new possibilities and you have to consider that what I've purchased in the past has mostly been based on what I've been offered, not necessarily the question you're posing, which is like, if you, you know, if you had to make your ideal computer, what would it be like? 
Now there is the angle, speaking of cars, of a lot of people like oh, they keep buying big trucks in their heart of hearts. And very often they will tell you outright if they're self-aware enough, they just want a big truck. Like the bigness is the feature, right? Do you need to carry a lot of stuff? Do you need it to be super high? Say, I just like big trucks because they make me happy because they're big and I want a big Tonka truck to ride around and whatever, right? But I don't think that's the case with me. Like I don't, I'm not wedded to a huge computer that you could, you know, live inside, right? That you can put seven mm -hmm. Mac minis inside the thing and it has tons of stuff inside it. I'm not wedded to that. I don't need it in the way that a lot of people need really big trucks that are very high off the ground. I just, that part doesn't appeal to me. It's always been for me about the benefits that that I'm getting. And it just so happens for the past several generations to get those benefits, Apple has been closest to providing them in these giant tower cases. So, hmm. and I don't know, have you, have you ever had one of the big tower Macs? You've mostly been on um, iMacs that way. I never, I've never had a tower Mac, no. I've obviously had and have PC towers, but my Macs have always been either a laptop or an iMac. Yeah, you got the big gaming PC now, I guess. But mm -hmm. but again, I feel like that, you know, if you could have gotten all the same stuff that you have in your gaming PC in a slimmer, quieter case, would you have done it? No, because it was part of the fun. Oh, that's right. It was like a little project. Yeah. Little, all your RGBs and silliness. Anyway, mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's another, you know, anyway. So I'm I'm not particularly into that aspect of it. So... When thinking of my ideal computer, I have to think about what benef what benefits am I trying to get? Why do I keep buying these tower computers? What are they giving me that a Mac Mini or an iMac or whatever wouldn't? Um, and I, 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 you can probably divide that into two things, like the benefits that you get when you buy it and then the benefits that you get over the course of ownership because I tend to own my computers for a while. I don't mm -hmm. like the the turmoil of, you know, replacing my system and with a new one. I just want to get a thing that I really like and keep it. I'm the same way with cars. So, um Benefits of time of purchase. Uh, the easy ones to start with are capacity. And you might think this is leading you down the road of a tower computer again. Ah, capacity, you got to have all that room. But, well, let's list some of the things that I'm interested in the capacity of. You've got RAM, obviously, uh, storage, uh, the number of ports, how much cooling you can put through the thing. Um, lots of Apple's computers are very limited in capacity on those fronts, particularly M1s, where so far, uh, you know, or the ARM Max, so far, uh, 16 gigs of RAM has been your limit, which is pretty tight. And, you know, we assume the new ones will have higher limit. Um, I use the MacBook Pro most of the time, the one, and I have 16 gigabytes of RAM in my MacBook Pro, and I keep getting an error message to tell me I'm running out of system memory. It suddenly started <laughs> happening in the last week. I don't know why, and I keep getting, a, a, like, a little box, and it's showing me all the apps. It's like, which ones do you want to force quit? And it's like, hang on a minute. Mm. <laughs> Whoa, what is this? I've never seen this before on a Mac. Yeah, that that sounds like something is going wrong, but still, 16 gigs is not not a lot. Um, and then there's also the flexibility of a desktop, by which I mean desktop computers, like as as opposed to a laptop, right? Uh, you know, I didn't say this up front, but it should go without saying that I'm talking about a desktop computer. I don't want to. I wanted to check this because I wondered if we were going for a big reveal here. But I think what you're saying is not necessarily that you don't want a desktop. So it doesn't need to be the biggest that is possible, but desktop is your desired perfect format, right? Yeah, because like, well, I just talked about capacity and you could say, well, you know, as we'll get to in a little bit, you want a lot of capacity, but that could be in a smaller thing, right? It, it could be a laptop or it could be, you know, in a, a Mac mini size thing or whatever. But the flexibility you get from a desktop 
you know, I don't need the portability. So what am I getting for the fact that I have to plug it into the wall and I can't carry it anymore? You get flexibility, obviously, in in having an external monitor. I mean, you could say you could use it with a Mac Mini, but like you're separating the monitor from the computer, so you can, you know, change them independently. So let's say, for instance, somehow you'd found yourself buying a horrendously expensive Apple monitor. You'd hope that you could use that monitor for several Macs to sort of spread the cost over the next decade to make you feel better about this purchase. Uh, and then you could change out the Mac that's behind it, right? Right now I've got the, you know, 2019 Mac Pro connected to this Pro Display XDR. I fully expect that Mac Pro to disappear and be replaced with an ARM Mac, and I'm not going to change the monitor if I can at all help it, right? So that's flexibility. Yeah. Internal storage is another piece of flexibility. When you have something portable, they tend not to give you lots of places inside the thing to add storage. You get whatever storage you get, but it's not like you can add more stuff in there. Whereas a desktop computer that doesn't have to go anywhere or be carried, you can, in theory, make room inside the actual thing for new storage. Now, the Mac Mini doesn't currently offer that. It could. You can imagine a Mac Mini, especially an ARM one, if you look inside the ARM ones, like there's a lot of empty space in there. You can imagine that Mac Mini with like a M.2 slot for another SSD or something, right? There's room inside a desktop computer to add more storage. Obviously, in a tower, you have way more room to add more storage. You know, all sorts of drives you can fit in there. That's uh, flexibility you don't get from a laptop. And then the final benefit that I'm looking for at the time of purchase is, this is kind of under the realm of capacity, but it deserves its own item, which is video capacity in terms of, like, you know, video card performance, GPU. And that's important because Apple tends not has never historically really given cared too much about gpu power on anything but the highest end computer and gpus are such an important part of lots of different big markets obviously gaming but even video and even some computational things and gpus constantly advance and get better and better and if you're stuck with whatever gpu the thing came with that's not great but even if you even if you're setting that aside because we're talking about benefits on day one Anytime you've ever looked at Apple's line of computers and said, well, I want a quote unquote good GPU, you always had to pick the most expensive one. It was literally your only choice that had like a slot where you could put a real GPU in there. You know, again, historically, Apple has not really played in the high end GPU space. They haven't offered their own GPUs. They've always been buying them from either NVIDIA or AMD, sticking them inside their computers. And those companies are fiercely competitive and are constantly making better and better GPUs. And if you wanted a decent one at the time of purchase, your only choice was to get the usually one and only computer that Apple would sell that you mm-hmm. could stick a real GPU from, you know, AMD or back in the old days, NVIDIA inside there. I care about it mostly for gaming, um, but I would just feel better having a big GPU that can drive a big screen, let's say, because, you know, the number of GPUs that can drive a 6K monitor over that single cable is small. Um, to have multiple displays, if you're into that, or even just for computational stuff. So I'm looking for those benefits, and historically they've been in a giant tower computer. And then over the course of ownership, so years later, what else do you care about? And this is the upgradability thing. All right, what if I get all those benefits on day one, but if I'm going to keep this computer for many years, don't I want to be able to swap things out of it? Wouldn't I want like a socketed GPU and all my RAM to be in sockets and, you know, the SSD not to be soldered to the motherboard and, you know, all this other stuff that I want to swap in and out? I don't really relish upgrading it's just a means to an end and so when i look at the things that i just listed uh you know storage ports gpu uh ram all that stuff like i don't expect to be able to upgrade the ports 
<laughs> right? That usually doesn't. You can. I mean, I could I could put a PCI card in and put you more USB ports or whatever. Um, and storage, that's something you probably want to upgrade. But if you have a certain number of storage slots, storage just tends to get bigger over time anyway. So you can just take out the existing storage and put a new one in the same slot. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Yeah. It's not really something you have to think about in the same way, right? Like it's not like, oh, the only way I can get more storage is to physically double the amount of discs mm-hmm. I have. It's, it does, you don't have to do that. You can just get a bigger disc. If you just, if, as long as you have like literally just one storage place where you can remove a thing, you know, take a thing uh-huh. in and out of, you know that over the course of that com- the life of that computer, you'll be able to take out whatever's in there now and put in another thing that just holds more stuff because that's just the way storage tends to go. RAM is an interesting one because I feel like I don't necessarily need upgradable RAM if I'm given sufficient capacity to begin with. Uh, you know, this is the thing if you want to buy a computer for not too much money and you get like a small amount of RAM and you upgrade it down the line. But in theory, I can just buy the computer on day one with enough RAM that I think it will last for 10 years and have it be soldered to the motherboard or, you know, whatever. It, it's stuck on the system on a chip in M1 parlance or whatever. Now, the current crop of ones don't offer anything close to that amount, as mm-hmm. you're finding out. But this this Mac Pro I got with 96 gigs of RAM, I don't think I'm ever going to upgrade the RAM on this Mac Pro unless I use it for like 15 years. Because I think that 96 gig is going to hold me for my usage until I eventually replace the computer. So I don't need that to be upgradable. Yeah, I feel like that's probably a pretty good amount. I think you're probably okay. I mean, it depends on what you're doing. Like, if you're doing some kind of scientific computing, you need these huge data sets and memory. Like, there's a reason. Yeah, but we know you're not doing that. Like, you know, yeah, there there are always reasons. But like, I think for you, 96 gigabytes of RAM is probably, as you say, would be good for the 10 years if you were to keep that computer for 10 years. Right, and and you know, it is upgradable, and I could add more. Um, and it would have cost less if I had bought less and added more over time. And my other tower computers, I have purchased them with less RAM and added more RAM over time. But I feel like both RAM and storage, like the upgradability is needs are pretty limited. I'd be fine with if, the, especially if it was super fast RAM, I would be fine if that was like on mm-hmm. the system on a chip, next, you know, like the M1 style, as long as there was enough of it. So I would feel like, okay, I'm all set with that. And as long as there's something replaceable with storage, I'd be okay. GPUs, on the other hand, GPUs change a lot. Every year, there's better and better GPUs. It's not, it's very predictable. You know next year the GPUs are going to be better than this year. And then three, four, or five years, the GPUs are going to be worlds better. So I really feel like the GPU has to be upgradable for longevity somehow. Or at least maybe there's a GPU that you can't upgrade, but like the storage is a place where you can stick another GPU, right? That is upgradable. Mm-hmm. So something, some kind of interchangeable gpu because it's very difficult to buy a machine up front and have a gpu that's going to last you even five years right because eventually you know if you buy the best gpu you can five years later there's some game that's going to be chugging on that gpu which is kind of disappointing it feels like of those things you know excluding the idea of moving from uh, x86 to arm of those elements uh, cpu gpu ram it feels like there's still the most amount of movement occurring in gpus on a you know year over year or multiple year over year basis as you say, right, like games continue to get more demanding. And that is a casual or like a regular use case where most people's regular use cases of what is taxing a CPU is not is not continuing to grow at that same kind of level, right? Like the CPU improvements can typically be a bit more incremental and smaller over a longer period of time. It feels like than GPU. Yeah, because the GPUs obviously are working on a problem that is, you know... Uh, 
a nearly infinite parallelism. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you could just give me more things to crunch pixels, there's always more pixels for you to crunch. And you mm-hmm. can usually do most of them in parallel, right? Whereas with the CPU, it's doing, it's working on algorithms that have inherent data dependencies. There's a limited amount of parallelism that you can extract from workloads of doing actual sort of computation and conditional logic, right? Whereas, you know, if you give me however many pixels there are on a 6K display and say, I just need you to, you know, crunch through those and do 3D calculations and now add on top of that the the, the sort of, not going to say fake, but the uh, the ray tracing-like uh, functionality that they're adding to game engines, like, you know, give give me more execution units, give me more, you know, flops on my GPU and game developers will use them. And it's easier to do. Not that it's easy, but it's easier because as soon as you can fit that number of execution units into the silicon chips within the cooling envelope, they just print more of them. They just, mm-hmm. you know, how many execution units do you have, right? And kind of similar with RAM, how much VRAM or depending on how the RAM works or whatever, right? So it's it's quote unquote easy to keep making a bigger and bigger GPU. And so that's what happens every year. They just keep making bigger and bigger ones as as much as the manufacturing technology of silicon chips allows them to do that without starting a fire inside your computer. And bigger and bigger is right. Like the the new series, you know, like the new NVIDIA and AMD cards, they are physically massive. Like they are massive. People are having to buy completely new cases for their computers because they just don't fit. <laughs> like they they are huge, and they got tons of fans on them. They're ma- they are massive. I mean, it's kind of like farming or solar panels. It's like if you give me more fields, I'll just plant more wheat, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like how much how much field can you give me? That's the only limit on the capacity of wheat, right? Or how, how much acreage do you give me to put solar panels? I can make more electricity if you give me more land to put more solar panels on. That's the only limiting factor. And so the limiting factor for GPU is how much electricity and power and heat and how much space. Because if you if you said you have, you know, a thousand times the power budget and, you know, obviously a thousand times the cost and a thousand times the space, I can give you a thousand times the GPU. Like, it's again, it's an embarrassingly parallel problem. Uh, there's always there's always more work to be uh, crunched through. So and obviously, Apple and you know and uh, card makers in general try to constrain themselves to reasonable sized tower computers. But as you noted, this generation they're really pushing up against. Well, even in a large tower computer, can we get a few more millimeters here and there? Like you know, there was it the the thirty ninety is just sort of comically large, and as you noted, just doesn't fit in a lot of cases that. Mm-hmm. People bought those cases and think this will fit any GPU that we need. And this happens periodically. Like when, when GPUs went from single slot to double slot to just being like, look, half of your case is going to be taken up with the GPU and its cooling solution, right? Or even even Apple with the MPX modules, right? Which take, I don't know, they're like triple height, double height, quad height, whatever. They're, they have these huge heat sinks because they don't have fans, which I love. Um, but yeah, so something, something upgradable in GPU is really important. So I feel like GPUs some kind of bay for internal storage and then i don't expect to be able to upgrade my cpu even though that's been a thing in the past and ram if i can buy enough of it up front i'm fine with that um then i feel like the final aspect of this this thing that i'm describing here is the intangible one the equivalent of i just want a big truck which is aesthetics and build quality which we mostly take for granted with apple stuff especially the high-end stuff you assume it's going to be nice sturdy quiet-ish right no particularly delicate parts. You'd hope the ports are in convenient places, which we can't take for granted with Apple, unfortunately, right? Mm-hmm. But for the big tower computers, for example, maybe some ports on the front or the top so you don't have to reach around the back for all of them. You want it to 
look nice on the inside and out, which I appreciate. It's just, it's again, it's the big truck thing. There's no reason that I care that the inside of my computer looks nice, but it does make me happy. If you've seen the inside of, you know, any of the Apple's tower computers, again, starting with the blue and white G3, where you opened it up and you saw all the parts laid out, that was cool and convenient. And the current 2019 Mac Pro makes the blue and white G3 look like it was slapped together by a hobbyist. Like this thing is a work of art inside. There's no visible wires anywhere. There are no fans in any of the cards. It's beautiful, silent. Everything is color matched and just precision machined. It's it's an amazing work of art. And no, this doesn't actually make the computer quote unquote better at doing any of its stuff, but it makes me happy. And if I'm going to be spending this mm-hmm. much money on something, kind of like buying a nice car, you wouldn't buy a nice car and say, well, it's it's got a quiet ride and it's very fast and it's comfortable to ride in, but I hate how it looks. Nobody spends a hundred grand on a fancy car that they hate the looks of. Similarly, I feel like when you're, unless you're doing it for like work and you need it for your quote unquote job, right? No one buys a high-end computer, like a sort of hobbyist high-end computer where you don't actually need it to do anything. You just want it because it's cool. You don't buy that computer if you hate how it looks. And I feel like I wouldn't buy (laughs) a computer that fit all my criteria if it was shoddily built or hideously ugly or something like that which again people think is weird when it comes to computers but no one bats an eyelash about it with cars no no one buys a car they don't like the looks of right maybe if you need it to be a work truck or something you're going to use it to like drive into the forest and haul timber but for your daily driver luxury sports car whatever you yes you look at all the other criteria of how fast is it and how much mileage is it whatever your criteria are but then you also gotta like how it looks because you don't want to spend a lot of money on something that you find ugly or seems cheap feeling or whatever. So that is my final bit of criteria. So given all of that, I can imagine a much, much, much smaller computer than the one I have now. Because okay. if all you need is one or two internal storage bays, a swappable GPU, and then you can have RAM and system on a chip in, you know, uh, totally unupgradable, you can get one that's like, a half or a quarter of the size of this Mac Pro uh, and be perfectly fine. And, you know, driving my 6K display is not that big of a deal anymore because, what now, you know, the the MacBook Air can do that now. (laughs) Like, it's nothing with the ARM chips in it and everything. So these rumors of a half-size Mac Pro, that's might be right up my alley. It really depends, though, on the GPU because you can make this box smaller, but the GPUs, especially if Apple's not making them itself, right, if it's still an AMD GPU, AMD GPUs have a certain minimum size that will dictate how small a box you can fit around this stuff because they're going to be like long PCI cards and they're going to need a lot of vertical space for cooling and all that. So I do worry about that. Uh, You know, I'm not going to be happy with a Mac Mini. That's what I'm saying. Do you think they will still have GPUs from third parties? See, when I look at the, the 2019 Mac Pro and the people who actually need like the dual Vega 2 cards, like they actually use those because, you know, having four of those makes their work take, you know, a quarter the amount of time that if they just had one, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you sell those people on the idea that, okay, well, we don't sell AMD stuff anymore and there's an Apple one and the Apple one is great. It's even faster than one of those Vegas. And they'll say, okay, but is it faster than four? Like, because right now, it takes me, you know, X amount of minutes, and you're telling me it's going to take, like, X times three amount of minutes. That's yeah. not a, an upgrade for me. And I guess as well, for a lot of those uh, use cases, the software is tuned to work perfectly on the hardware or whatever, right? I can imagine that that could be the case. And unless, you know, if you don't feel comfortable with that or confident with that, then it's not going to help you how fast Apple's 
uh, GPU is. Yeah, I mean, that's Apple's usually their pitch. It's like, okay, well, um, you know, if you use our software with our GPU, it's way faster than if you use third-party <laughs> software with the AMD one. But, but I just don't see how, you know, again, it gets down to just sort of, you know, acreage in the wheat or solar panel thing, right? Mm-hmm. How many square millimeters of silicon are in a 2019 Mac Pro with four AMD Vega GPUs in it? There's just, like, in terms of how much power that's drawing from the power supply, how much heat it's generating, and the literal number of transistors. At a certain point, no matter how great Apple's one GPU is, you 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 can't compete with four times as much surface area in silicon chips. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you're really good, you can say, well, you know, if, if you have this amount, I can give you, like, three quarters of that amount and be faster because you're Apple and, you do you know, you're better at it, but... If you're just going to give me one GPU versus four, I don't think Apple's going to be four times as good as as the best third party GPUs that are out there. So you know, so the Apple choice Apple has is we can say, well, most of our customers don't need that. It's such a narrow slice. Those people were just going to say, look, we don't serve your needs anymore. Sorry. Or alternately, they could just keep serving that market by saying, yeah, we have great GPUs, but also we have a bunch of slots and if you want we'll sell you a horrendously overpriced apple version of a third-party gpu that you can stick in those slots and that seems like the most straightforward solution like why give that up they spend all this time with 2019 mac pro 2019 mac pro does not have one slot it doesn't have two slots it has a huge number of slots in there it's giant and they fill them with stuff including their afterburner card and you know multiple gpu whatever you want to put in there to for apple to come out with this product and then Five years later, say, eh, never mind. That's going to be a difficult conversation. And that's exactly the reason why pros don't trust Apple with this stuff. They say, oh, you made yeah. this great computer that fits our needs. And then you change your mind a couple years later and say, oh, well, since we're not doing third-party GPUs anymore, we think one Apple GPU is good enough for everybody. So get in line and, or just go to PC. And people will just go to PC. So I really hope that the rumors of a quote-unquote half-size Pro Mac uh, and a full-size one are true that they will offer both of those and you'll know which one you need do you you know do you just want like the, the needs that i described where you can get away with a half-size one and be happy as long as the gpu is upgradable you know or let's say even if the gpu is not upgradable but the computer is inexpensive enough that you can buy a new one more than once every 10 years that's another option apple could go with i'm not sure they're going to go with that one um but yeah i can see myself with a smaller quieter computer that has just the kind of uh, flexibility that i need swappable gpu some internal storage uh and i would be perfectly happy with that but i'm not sure all of the 2019 mac pro customers would be well we're not asking them we're asking you so we don't have to worry about all those people right now and i think also in in my old age now if you'd asked me the same question like a decade or two ago i probably would have wanted all the things to be upgradable and i would have wanted all that empty space because i'd be like well who knows what i'll want in the future this is kind of part of the narrowing of the possibility space of aging it's like am i the type of person who will ever fill all those card slots when you're in your 20s you're like i might be that who knows someday maybe i'll be making music or maybe i'll have a bunch of uh, you know cards in there that connect sound interfaces or maybe i'll have five gpus and i'll be doing yeah you know, it's like at a certain point you're like okay well i'm not, I'm not going to do those things i'm not interested in them so the number of things you need your computer to do for you becomes better defined let's say rather than yep. just saying narrower and i feel like now at this point in my life i know which things i will want to upgrade and which things i want and like you know there is an element of just wanting to make sure that 
your time spent at your computer will be with a working computer, right? And it's that not that you're going to have to spend a bunch of time troubleshooting the thing that you put in there or whatever, right? Like it's that time is is more limited than when we're younger, I suppose. Yeah, that that's part of the internal storage discussion too. Is like, why do you care about internal storage? Like, it's just with current technology, it's part of my backup regime. Is I need to have like a, a local time machine backup and then a local like clone of some kind, right? Mm-hmm. Just because history has shown that when I screw something up, that's the fastest way to get back up and running is to not have to go to your cloud backup provider to get all that stuff. Uh, and the only way to do that with current technology is either to have some minimal amount of internal storage that you can put, you know, buy third-party things and shove them inside your computer or to have a bunch of boxes on your desks. And I hate that. I hate the boxes on my desk. Not so much that I'm going to go with a Mac mini or an iMac, but that's exactly why I want a computer with some kind of internal storage because I can make all that disappear and just have my one computer that has all my stuff, a time machine backup of my stuff, and a clone of my stuff all in one box. And I don't think that's too much to ask. All right, so I feel like we have very thoroughly set the stage. So I am now going to ask you a series of questions. And I just want you to tell me what you want from these things, right? So format, desktop, laptop, big, small. What is the format of this dream computer of yours? It's a desktop, and I'm going to say medium. Okay, so (laughs) we're talking like obviously much larger than a Mac Mini, and much smaller than your current Mac Pro? Yeah, because I all these tower computers, there has always been enough space for like like a, a rabbit to live in there, along with all my uh-huh. computer stuff. I've never filled just, all the uh, slots. I've, you know. <laughs> okay, what about the design? W- what do you want it to be aesthetically? Do you want it to be a small version of what you currently have? Or would you like, if in an ideal world, would you want something different? So these, these things, you know, fashion trends come and go in, in the computer world. And I think in the desktop world, we've been kind of overdue on the Apple. Well, not really, because we got it with the trash can. But, like, I, I feel like it's it's time for the Pro Tower line to swing back in a Darth Vader-ish direction. I'm kind of liking the idea of a matte black thing, mm-hmm. right? I know that the trash can was black and shiny, but it was actually kind of like a chromey silver thing, and it wasn't quite the aesthetic I was looking for. And we've had silver computers for a while. I'd be happy with a candy-colored, like, you know, blue and white G3 style tower as well, but I have actually kind of been hankering for a Darth Vader style black tower computer for a long time now, and I I feel like the trash can was like a near miss. And we're talking fully black, right? Like we're not talking any of Apple's vast variants of what gray can be. <laughs> no, not space black, like actual black, like the black book, like the the, yeah. the black MacBook. True Matt black. black. It just just black. No midnight green mixed in. No blue <laughs> mixed in. Just black. <laughs> now the screen in an ideal world. Are you keeping your screen, or do you now want a screen to match? I mean, I feel like the, the Apple's aesthetic is like on the on the XDR is neutral enough that it will match. It would match a black computer certainly. It has, it has a black surround on the screen here, right? Like the yeah. bezel is black. The base is neutral silver, and you don't really see it that much. So I think that you know matching. Obviously, it's not going to match as well as this thing does. But practically speaking, I can't see the back of my XDR, so I know that it matches the front of my Mac Pro. <laughs> But that's just an academic, like someone could have come and shaved off all those things that I would never notice. It's facing, facing a wall. I can't see it. So I don't need it to be matchy-matchy, as they say. I just need it to be in fitting with the aesthetic. And I think a, a matte black tower connected to this thing would look fine. That said, a lot of the reason I am keeping this monitor is because it costs so much money. 
Uh, if yep. it was cheap, I'd replace it with a matching one, right? Yep. But it's not cheap, so nope. you really got to get your money's worth out of these monitors. Even though, like, think of my last monitor. It was a 23-inch Apple Cinema display that I think I used for at least two different computers. It didn't really match any but the first one. But you know, you just you just keep using it just because it seems like an investment and it's, it gives you the flexibility to to reuse it. So, money no object. I'd you know want it to be replaced with like a ultra thin, ultra bright OLED. 8k display that matches my computer exactly but that doesn't seem like it'll be in the cards money wise so i want to talk about specs obviously i'm going to assume that you are not like desiring to keep an intel processor inside this dream computer of yours do you have any kind of feeling as to how big an apple silicon processor you want you mean like physical size or like number of cores like i mean if you have this? a desire for physical size i would be interested to know but i, I did mean more cores. i mean if you do have a feeling for how physically big you want it to be i would like to know that but really more of like cores. the size actually is a thing it's not size so much as like the bigger it is the more heat it puts out and the more cooling it needs mm-hmm. and so i do like the arm chips low power because it lets you have a quieter computer right so i what i wouldn't do is spend every ounce of that low power advantage on adding more square millimeters of silicon to the point where you use all the cooling capacity of the case. Like, so the case I have now has tremendous cooling capacity. You could put a huge arm chip in there and cool it, but I wouldn't do that. I would say, let's not make literally the biggest arm chip we can to fit within the cooling capacity. Let's instead make an arm chip that's kind of medium sized. And you, you know, lower the cooling capacity say okay we don't need so many fans the fans don't need to be as big they don't need to spin as fast right i'm not saying do what you did with the m1s which is like we can have a computer with no fan because that's not the trade-off i want to make on a desktop Mm -hmm. right so i would expend half let's say half the cooling budget making the chip bigger but then i'd stop i would not use all of the cooling budget of even a half size tower right because that's then you're losing some of the advantage right i'm not I'm not mining for Bitcoin here. I don't want every ounce of performance. I do want some, you know, quietness, right? And in terms of number of cores, I would say maybe double the number of cores that I have now would be fine. What do I have now? Eight core, 12 core? I don't even know. I I bought as many cores as I could afford. I have 12 core. Um, Yeah, 20 core, uh, you know, because the type of stuff I do on my computer can take advantage of multiple cores because I'm doing lots of little things. Yeah. You know, even now, and I'm just talking, you know, you know, I'm recording in Skype and I'm also recording an audio hijack, right? And the networking stack is running and maybe, you know, Google Docs is not like this. There's always something to be using these CPU cores. Um, and then every once in a while, like compiling an Xcode, I can use them all at once, right? Mm-hmm. And that will actually give me a benefit of actually making the time I have to wait for my computer to do a thing to be lower, right? Yeah. And of course, core counts are different now, right? Because we have energy and efficiency, you know, like performance and efficiency. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you wouldn't want to have necessarily the same amount of cores. You would want to have some more because they're not all the same as they used to be. Yeah, I'm not sure how they would do that breakdown in terms of the low power versus high power ones. I would imagine there wouldn't be too many low power ones because the whole point of low power, if you had like 20 low power cores, it's like, well, that's not really low power because if you're running all 20 of those at any given time that's not low power right there's a certain uh, beyond a certain number of low power cores beyond which you probably shouldn't be using any more low power cores right so i think maybe four or eight low power cores or whatever you that's plenty and then just fill the rest with the high performance ones because when you want to be in low power mode you're going to turn off all the high performance ones, and maybe you even turn off some of the low power ones right just enough to get by yeah 
But again, on a desktop, that's less of a concern. Just for the numbers, the reporting that Mark Gurman had was that there would be 20 or 40 core variants with 16 high performance or 32 high performance. So four and eight efficiency cores, respectively. Yeah, as we discussed on, on ATP, like a lot of that has to do with the sort of uh, economies of scale of like they're not going to make one bespoke 40 core CPU. It's going to be made up of these tiles, essentially, and each tile comes with a certain number of high and low. So you end up being a little bit oversubscribed on low performance just because your tiles all have a certain they basically have enough low performance cores for a MacBook Pro on each one of the little tiles. Mm -hmm. So when you get four of those tiles, guess what? You get four times the low the low power cores as a MacBook Pro, but not because that's the optimal number. It's just because it's not worth it financially for Apple to make a custom CPU just for the Mac Pro. It's much more economical for them to take the MacBook Pro CPU and take four of them and shove them together, right? Yeah. So and just find something to do with the other ones, right? Like you've got them now, so just find something to do with them. Yeah. Like uh, obviously you'll use them, you'll use them in burst mode when you're doing a big activity, use everything. And then al almost all the rest of the time, maybe they're just not doing anything. RAM. So my, this experiment with 96 gigs, like I bought this this way just because I was spending so much money. It's that, uh, the thing again, when you're buying cars or buying airline tickets, you're like, Oh, I can upgrade a thing for an extra hundred bucks. And suddenly it seems like nothing compared to your hugely expensive plane ticket, but it's still a hundred bucks or like the floor mats in a car. The floor mats are $150. You're like, ah, throw it in. It's a $30,000 car. What's $150 for the floor mats? It's still $150, but next to the $30,000 car, it seems like less. It doesn't actually change size. So it's a you know, a, a bug in, in uh, our ability to reason about price. RAM was similar. I got this thing with a huge amount of RAM, even though I know that I overspent on it because Apple charges an arm and a leg for RAM. But honestly, I just didn't want to have to think about I want RAM to be off the table. I just want RAM to be a thing I don't have to think about anymore. And so far, a year or two into using this computer, I never think about RAM. I never look at my RAM. I never think about it. It just, it doesn't exist for me anymore. RAM is not something that I ever, ever, even, even when I was running a, Put it into Windows and ran uh, Unreal Edit 5 for the, the Unreal Engine 5 demo. I don't know if you've seen any videos of that. I didn't think about RAM the whole time I was doing it. I thought about my video card, which was, you know, on its knees trying to, trying to do this processing at 6K. But I just don't think about RAM. So I feel fairly confident that there is an amount of RAM where it becomes a non-issue for my personal use. And so 96 is the right value maybe for 2019. For 2021, 2022, 128, right? Like, I, don't, I mean, it really depends on the price because, you know, what Apple does with the RAM, especially if it's on the system on a chip, the price might go up, you know, in a nonlinear fashion and really cause problems. But somewhere around 100 gigs of RAM, I feel like, is the 2022 starting point for saying I won't have to think about RAM for five to 10 years. What about a GPU then? What, what would you be going for here? Is there something on the market now that you're aware of that you would like, or do you have like a, a particular thing that you would just like to be focused on? So I, I admit that I am attracted to the idea of an Apple GPU that tries to compete with current high-end GPUs, if only because of the sort of advantages, the, you know, the sort of M1 advantages where you're sharing mm -hmm. the very fast RAM, you're on a big system on a chip. There's lots of areas where that there, there's a performance advantage to having that arrangement. The obvious disadvantage is as cool as that is on day one, come next year, it's outclassed by whatever the new NVIDIA card or AMD card is. So it's just a fact of life. Like every year, AMD and NVIDIA are going to come out with new cards and Apple historically has not been that fast. And either way, if it's part of your system on a chip, 
you're not getting that upgrade unless you buy a whole new Mac, right? Yeah, and th- these are companies that are doing a very good job right now in, in what they're doing, right? Like it's not like the perceived things like Intel with chip with their CPUs, they're not doing so great, but uh, Nvidia and AMD they're doing very good with graphics cards. Like everybody's very happy, which is why you can't buy them. Yeah, and and they're they are competitors to each other. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like one massively dominates over the other. Although if you ask Nvidia, they'd say they dominate in like AI and whatever. But either way, like they at various times are jockeying for the lead, and so they they push each other to do better every single year. They don't take a year off. They don't say eh, this year's cards. We're just not going to change it. And they, they have architecture changes from whatever Pascal to the what, Tempest. I don't remember all the code names, but they they have architectural changes of the RDNA versus RDNA two and all that stuff. But every year they just keep making it better and better. So there's pretty much nothing Apple can do on a built-in, like integrated into the system on a chip GPU that will not be eclipsed by a third-party GPU in the next year. The only move Apple has is to not allow third-party GPUs at all, as in don't have any slots or don't support third-party GPUs, in which case it's like, well, tough luck. If you want a Mac, you, you get what you get and you don't get upset. But what I would prefer is to have a really great built-in Apple GPU. Maybe that I could get away with not with just using that for the first year, but then a slot for an MPX card or some other similar mm. Apple flavored slot that I can put a you know, one of the things I love about the GPU I have in here now is with a 5700 XT or whatever the hell it is. It's an AMD card, but it's Apple's MPX module that again has no fans on the card. You you get the card from Apple and it's just a huge card with a gigantic passive heatsink on it. And I love that. A, it matches my case. B, when I stick it in there, it does not make my computer appreciably louder. Yes, the fan in front of it might have to spin at faster RPM, but it is so much different than in my previous uh, you know, Mac Pro, where I would buy a GPU and it would have a cooler on it with a terrible fan that would get noisier and noisier over time, or like replace with a third party cooler. I just don't want to deal with that at all. So that's my ideal built-in great apple gpu that is competitive with the best gpus for the first year and then a slot underneath it where i can buy something from amd or who knows stranger things have happened maybe one day nvidia and shove it in there two or three years down the line when the built-in apple one is struggling and do you have any particular desire for specific ports on the machine yeah i think one of the advantages of having a desktop computer is there are fewer excuses for why you can't have let's say another usb port Right, because there's plenty of acreage to put holes in your computer. You're not like in a laptop where the sides are so small that you can't even think of where you can stick another hole. Well, the iMacs. (laughs) (laughs) Even the iMac, I feel like, all right, it's clear that that design was as thin as possible, and that's a direction to go. But none of the the computer I'm describing, as thin as possible, is not one of the goals of any aspect of this computer whatsoever. So there's no excuse for you. They might be going for as small as possible, but that doesn't preclude io as an issue yeah, even if like they're trying to go small it's not an artistic exercise to mm-hmm. to make the computer disappear or be very slim that's not going to happen you want you might want to to not waste any internal space and to make a smaller computer or whatever but at the scale we're talking about here there should always be room for a full-size headphone jack a, a bunch of USB-C ports like all that good stuff um i i always want more usb like, if I just look at what I have around my desk, I don't have that much stuff connected, but I, I, you know, I do have a USB hub for things like keyboard and mouse, which I still use wired. And, you know, the plug that I use to plug my phone into and the little plug that I plug my, you know, dedicated camera into, 
which still uses USB mini because camera manufacturers are backwards. Um, those are all connected to a USB hub. Part of that is because my computer is far away from them. But part of it is just because I'm kind of out of USB ports, right? Like I, there's Thunderbolt port on top of my computer that I use for, you know, <laughs> I put a thumb drive in my Thunderbolt port or whatever. Mm -hmm. But there's not that many plain old low speed USB ports. So I would prefer if there were more of them for peripherals that don't require high performance. But other than that, the port set that has been available on all my Tower Max has been mostly adequate for what I what I want to do. There's a lot of space in the back, a lot of different things you can plug it into. At this point, I even have like, I have four, no, more than that. I think I have five places I can plug my monitor into. I just have the one monitor, but it's just, it boggles my mind because now we've, you know, unified on the Thunderbolt standard and everything that the video cards themselves have multiple Thunderbolt ports where you could, I could in theory hook up multiple 6K displays. And then you can even plug the monitor into a thing that's not a port on the video card on the Mac Pro because of the whole Thunderbolt bus on the inside. Like the top card on the 2019 Mac Pro that has USB and stuff on it, there's a Thunderbolt port there and you can plug the monitor in there and it works, which boggles mm. my mind as sort of an old school computer user thinking of plugging your monitor into someplace other than your video card and it works. Strange times. I didn't know that. I figured you just had to plug it into the video card. No, nope, you can just plug it into that little add-on because it's all Thunderbolt bus, right? It's the magic Thunderbolt. I, this is one of those things I understand, but I still don't feel like I can get my head around that. It doesn't seem right at the same time. Yeah, um, and then you, uh, what my question was like, because I have two GPUs in my Mac. I have the one that it, I bought it with and then I have <laughs> the upgraded one. does it know which one? So it has not know which one to use. And, you know, you can go to about this Mac and you see it does pick the big one. It's just... It's just <laughs> weird i mean i'm sure there's some setting that you know or some policy or whatever it's not picking randomly but yeah yeah if i don't plug it into the card how mac do you decide which one to use it's using some weird onboard graphics chip that it's got in there somewhere you know it doesn't it doesn't care all right so look long time listeners of atp know you know you took a long time to upgrade your machine but you were ready to go right when the is this Mac Pro came out, you were ready. And so you just went for it. And, you, you know, and it was expensive. You spent a lot of money on it. You got it the way that it was. If Apple announced, say, next June, this exact machine, which gives you all of the specs that you've just listed here, how soon would you buy it? I would be pretty tempted to buy it pretty soon. Mm. I would probably let the rest of the world try it out and tell me if there's some horrendous problem. But I, I I know I've emphasized this a bunch of times, but this monitor was really expensive and I'm going to get to reuse that part. So if I'm just replacing just, the computer really, part of you're it. You're just saving money if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, well, because the computer part, especially if it's a half size one that is presumably less expensive because it doesn't have 12 PCI card slots and all that stuff, right? I think, and you know, again, the the ARM chips are going to be so much faster. They already are so much faster than the currency on, and presumably, like the four, it's going to be so much faster for less money than I paid for this one. It's, it's going to be really hard not to just say this is actually isn't like a buying a whole new system. I'm just swapping out one component. I wouldn't even need to change any connectors because, like, everything that's plugged into the back of this computer presumably will still plug into whatever replaces it. Maybe it won't have USB A. I'm not sure, but anyway. I'm going to be very tempted to only keep this computer around for like maybe three years or something if the replacement comes and is reasonably priced and I feel like, oh, you know, I can 
I can get at, for, for less than the cost of this monitor, I can totally replace my computer. Because as you know, I mean, you've already switched over. Like once you start using these ARM Macs, and we do have an M1 MacBook Air on the house. Once you start using them, it's very difficult to intentionally stay behind in Intel and just because everything is so much faster in M1. And that's setting aside the stuff of like, you know, Touch ID or potentially in the future Face ID and all these other all the other benefits that you that come with the M1, all the features of Monterey that only work on the M1, the neural engine stuff. It's it's really hard to stay away. And I knew this going in. I knew this when I bought this thing. I said, if this is the last grade uh, x86 Mac, I'll still be content with it. Uh, and at this rate, I will definitely be using this thing by uh, for at least two years, probably three, before I even consider a new one. But two or three years in, I'm going to be looking pretty hard at where those new Mac Pros are. Thank you very much, John Syracuse. Can't wait for you to buy me this computer. I'm very excited. Is that, oh, that, is that was the, the conclusion deal? of the show? You buy me the computer of my dreams? I tell you what, if they make everything you've listed here, then I'll think about it. Uh, I've I've listened to too many of your podcasts and know how you weasel out of the precise wording of the rules <laughs> and everything. There's no way I'm going to win this bet. It's just pointless. I feel like if there was one person I know other than my co-hosts on my various other shows that would appreciate precise rules, it would be you. <laughs> precise rules, precise for the purpose of never paying out. I understand. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Hello. They are the company that makes these incredibly comfortable buckwheat pillows that give me the support that I need every single night with my head and my neck. Feels super good, incredibly comfortable. Pillow stays cool. They really make fantastic stuff. Hello pillows are really awesome. They're made with buckwheat, and that means it's not going to collapse under the weight of your head like a fluffy pillow with feather or foam or whatever. They stay cool. They stay dry compared to other pillows because air can easily flow through. And also, you can. I only have one pillow, and you only need one pillow now too because you can add or remove filling to suit your needs so your pillow can be just the size and way that you like it. Like I used to have two, maybe three, depending on the type of pillow before. But with Hello, just one, and it's incredibly comfortable. Gives me all the support that I need. Perfect size, perfect shape. Really, really love it. Hello pillows are made in the USA with quality construction and materials. The certified organic cotton case is cut and sewn for durability, and the buckwheat is grown and milled in the US. You may be curious to try one of these things out right now, and you should. Go sleep on it for 60 nights, and if Hollow isn't right for you, just send it back and they'll give you a full refund. Go to hollowpillow.com slash upgrade right now and get your own buckwheat pillow. That's H-U-L-L-O-P-I-L-L-O-W dot com slash upgrade. And if you mind one in one, they have a special discount of up to $20 off, depending on the size you opt for. They have fast free shipping of every order, and 1% of all profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy. So you give it a try, and if you love it, you keep it. You don't, you send it back super easy so go to hollowpillow.com slash upgrade thanks to hollow for the support of this show and relay fm Merlin man thank you for joining me ah <sighs> mike thank you for having me on it's it's been a while it's been a very long time it's, i think it's been never on this show which is part of the reason that you're here now i've got rid of jason for the week you can bring Merlin in i think i was on an upgrade once when jason was away I think there was some some Snell talk. No, wait, I talked to Snell. It was mm-hmm. you who weren't there. Yeah, J- Jason always brings in people when I'm away, but I don't go away anymore. Jason goes away, so the tables have turned. Now, yeah. I wanted... One of my favorite things about you, Merlin Man, is your enthusiasm for things. So it's one of the things that I have loved about your work for many, many years, more years than you probably want me to mention. <laughs> uh, like new hardware, new software, back from the 
Mac Wild show floor days, you know, I, I've always taken great kind of inspiration from your enthusiasm. I think it's, it's one of my favorite things about you. And it's something that I've tried to make a thing that I will try and do for things that I like too. Cause I think people like to hear that stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm always excited to know what you're excited about. So that's what I wanted to talk about. Like if there are any new little gadgets or pieces of hardware that you're enjoying, mm-hmm. any apps and services, like this is the stuff that I want to know about. What is tickling your fancy right now? <laughs> you contacted, thank you very much, first of all, but you've contacted the right fellow because uh, I am additionally, I'm meta excited. I'm excited to talk about what I'm excited about. So <laughs> that works out fine. It's, it's, it, this is actually, but it's also to your, to your, uh, I don't know, you know me, I love my big philosophical points. The thing that you said kind of at the top um, is something I think about a lot. Like, how do you how do you maintain your curiosity and your, um, you know, your plasticity, you know, mm-hmm. keep trying new things? Uh, Kevin Kelly uh, recently said something along the lines of, uh, you're only as young as the last time you changed your mind, which is something mm-hmm. I, I try to keep in mind. Well, that's that's much better for me as a fortune cookie than a life principle because I'm not that good at it. But, but you know, it, it, what's funny though is like, for example, this week on Dubai Friday, uh, show I do with Alex Cox, the challenge, my challenge this week is what I call harness your horses. And I'd been watching that movie, um, What Happened, Miss Simone. And long story short, Alex and I both have weird brains. And we were, uh, I was just saying like, is there a way that we could figure out how to take the stuff about us that's weird or psychically challenging or emotionally strange or chemically you know, uh, problematic. And how can you turn that into a mutant superpower? Like, how do you basically go to the Professor X school of, you know, mental health and, and take something that, that could be a real liability and turn it into, you know, something that's really good for you? And that's a way that I actually do think about this stuff, which is I love little projects that keep my demon dogs at bay. I'm always excited to play with new stuff, you know, probably to a fault. The balance that I do try to strike, though, is like, you know, it's you know what they used to say when you're kids? It's always everybody's. It's always fun until somebody gets hurt. I yep. try to stop myself before I get hurt. That's okay. the main thing, right? So this goes way back to like the 43 folders days of like one of my early realizations that not only should I not spend all of my time, you know, uh, messing around, but I shouldn't encourage other people to spend all of their time messing around. And so the the thing, the lesson in this for me is like how do I strike this balance of doing the stuff that will keep me not young, but will keep me plastic and keep me interested and keep me curious? Cause gosh, it's so easy to lose your curiosity. Even if that's just, you know, uh, playing, playing with a, a new calendar app for that matter. How do I do that? But then, you know, I have to say, it, this is the neat thing about becoming an old man maybe is like, I, I have crossed a certain kind of Rubicon where I've said to myself, uh, and this actually goes to something you said on Upgrade recently, where you were like, you know, if you want to get the betas, it's a toy, have fun, yeah, get the just, betas. Just do like, it. Yeah, contra Jason's whole, like, I have to do this for my work. It's contra everybody, right? Like, yeah, no, don't I know. install and it I, on I, your work phone. Like, just install it on the work phone. I know, Who cares? I know. It's like, what's, and especially these days, what's the worst thing that can happen? So mainly, I just, if we leave town, and when we leave town, I don't want my phone to be broken. But the reason, I, but here's the thing, though, man. You only go around once, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, why? <laughs> what do you, what do you, I mean, yes, do backups, do all the things in life. Like, don't waste your day. Don't, don't procrastinate unless you mean to procrastinate. There's all kinds of, uh, but you know, I, a, a thing I found myself saying on Roderick that's very related to this, kids, uh, kids don't play with blocks because they're trying to get into a school. Kids play with blocks because blocks are fun. Mm-hmm. And blocks are always fun. And isn't it okay for us to do things because they're fun and because they keep us curious and they keep us stimulated and excited and engaged with what's happening? 
in the world? Like, do we need a reason to have fun? Do we have to say it's for my work? <laughs> so anyway, those are all competing thoughts in my head. But, you know, the overriding principle, I, I think in some ways is, well, do, do your stuff, do your work, do your fun. And, and if you like who you are, why would you feel terrible about how you have fun? <laughs> you know, it's okay. You know, if you don't like who you are, you'll never have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, you've got something else to deal with first. And then well, so with all the philosophy out of the way, yes, I have, I have jotted down innumerable things that I am excited about, um, some of which are for my work and others of which, you know, they're not. But, you know, start anywhere. So hit me. Give me something. Well, you know, I gosh, the, the, the most boring one that I should just get out of the way but is kind of interesting is, um, like the great Casey Liss, I, I'm the sort of person that's always like, I don't think I don't need that thing that was announced i don't want that mm-hmm. you know that's that's my pre-wwdc you know mindset and then i'm watching it and i go hmm, that's kind of cool but i don't need that and long story short like i bought a new ipad do i need mm. a new ipad not really but i let's just say i got a good ipad partly because it was one that was available you know that didn't take a month to get it took two hours to get but big one yep big and big yeah. So okay. I get the I got the I got the I got the large one and I got the you know the big lots of space on it which I believe has a role in some of the power stuff and the RAM stuff, right? So It has more. I got the tricked out one and it's really really nice and it's having the beta on there and playing with that. I won't dwell on this, but the the, the interesting uh, side impact of that though is that that had me it means I have this older not 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 the huge iPad that my wife has, but you know the t- 12 inch right Mm -hmm. i've now made that a sidecar uh monitor and i'm looking at it over here my texts are over here uh uh, hanging in midair on this mounting system that i I would like to tell you about and it's great so like i've got my new ipad with and i'm using the pencil and i'm trying to finally mike i'm trying to finally get good at the stuff you nerds understand and i don't which is the multitasking stuff i'm really setting myself to trying to like operationalize that but it's also neat because now I got it, my old iPads over here. And when I get universal control, I'm going to be the happiest boy in the world. Yeah, that's going to be pretty sweet. Yeah. I like yeah, that. Totally. So do you use the uh, sidecar very frequently? Until three days ago, not at all. <laughs> well, you know, it's <laughs> the canonical example for me. And I think you were on this uh, bandwagon too. Is like, uh, I mean, how much do I use iMessage stickers today? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I don't. I really, all I really care about is I wish they'd add back a permanent button. Please give me a permanent button for photos and mm-hmm. please take away the thing that records my voice. That's all I really <laughs> want out of messages. But mm-hmm. for three or four days, oh yeah, I made emojis. I, I, I added clothes. I don't use any of that. That's kind of how I felt about Sidecar because I didn't have any need for it and I didn't have that much hardware that would do it. And now though, yeah, I am playing with it partly because uh, I think probably like everybody who's a beta cock i've got i've got all this stuff where i'm saying oh is it in there yet is spatial audio in there for facetime yet is universal control right Right. and so when a new beta comes out i check that out so i'm very excited about universal control that looks extremely promising to me but in prep for that i thought i'd play more with sidecar and it's great I, i can't believe how well this thing works like i'm not using the ipad for anything but that the old ipad Yep. anything but that but it, there's nothing to do it just it shuts off when the computer's sleeping it turns on when it's on and, and i've just got this extra little window that is really bigger than the screen i had on a lot of macs in the 90s oh yeah 
in addition to this, you know, whatever twenty-seven inch monitor, it's 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 really great. It, it, but like, you start finding uses for it, like what we used to call a palette monitor. Like you keep all your Photoshop palettes over here or whatever, or your Dreamweaver stuff. Yeah, it's really neat. It's the reason I mentioned that here is it's a little bit of like a, like you would say in, in snooker. It's a little bit of a bank shot because uh -huh. like I I do get a new iPad out of this with a beautiful screen and all the things crazy fast. But now the old iPad like still finds a use. It's 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 kind of neat like that, and because it's Apple and the stuff mostly works together, it's it's very accommodating of uh, being reused for cool things. I think that's actually a pretty good use for old iPads now, and will continue to be more of one. Right, but now you now you've got a thirteen inch monitor that you can move around and put whatever you want on. It's pretty great. I've thought about because I'm also really into this dorky home assistant uh, thing. I've thought about someday using an old iPad to like make a control panel. That might be a bridge too far. I certainly could not have that at home. My family would not tolerate this Jetson stuff on the wall. But, but it'd be fun to try here at the office is to use something like, I don't know, like Home Plus or I don't know, Homey or, you know, one of those things to create like a control pad. But mm -hmm. I'm not quite there yet. But that's an easy one because, you know, bricks are fun. Blocks are fun. <laughs> I, like, uh, I like making things. iPad, good. And what are, you, now, what are you rolling with right now, if I could ask? I'm mostly using my 11-inch. That's the one that I use most of the time for mm -hmm. my, to be my iPad. That's my walking around iPad. That's my my my. That's what goes in the bag. I got a very Mike Hurley orange cover for mine Ooh, th nice. that I really like. Oh, it feels so good. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but no, I, I, th those are just in the pocket for sitting on the couch. Such a good size. And that's where I have it. I have it on the couch at home, and you know, whenever like I'm sitting reading or doing anything. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the device that I'll use at home. I have my 12.9 inch here at the studio, um, and I've been finding some new uses for it recently with like looking at kind of product designy type things. Like it's been mm -hmm. using the Apple Pencil and you know being able to sketch stuff out and mm -hmm. highlight things has been really useful for me actually. Uh, but th that's definitely been something. The 12.9 inch iPad for me is is. It's a bit of collateral damage of moving kind of most of my processes back to the Mac again. Right. I heard you talk about that because yeah. for a long time you were you were so Vitici for a while where you were, mm -hmm. and I think you actually coined that phrase, right? The, was it the dual iPad lifestyle? Was that you? Multipad, yeah. Me and Multi Multipad, that's, that. that's it, that's it. <laughs> and, so uh, that, and then that you were was, saying, uh, but like you, you keep your Mac like running clean now because you do use your Mac for a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that because of changes in availability of hardware or is it because of your work or what combination of things leads you to going, oh yeah, like in my case, I started using my old big iPad less because guess what? I got an M1 MacBook Pro. That is just it's it's tiny and perfect. That really tipped it over the edge. The M1 MacBook Pro tipped it over the edge, but yeah, it was yeah. for me it was part of like ergonomic changes during COVID and with my studio that it just right. meant that I was finding myself just at desks more and then I wanted a monitor at a good height. And so it just it you know, it just ended up being like really for this setup that I want. The Mac is best for that, um, and then mm -hmm. the M1 kind of just pushed it over the edge, like just because it is just such a stupendous computer in every possible way. It really, it really is a joy to use. But you know, I mean, you still always—it it is neat as all of this technology makes occasional, you know, steps forward in both power and um, what's the word I'm looking for—the way that Apple stuff works with other stuff. It's mm -hmm. cool though that you could always, if you're in a pinch, you could grab that big iPad. And do all kinds of stuff that you could not have done even five years yeah. ago, right? It's, it's just, I don't know. That's, that's, that's exciting. I'm pretty pro Apple right now. So what else have you got going on? Oh, let's see. I'll burn through a couple of these. I think I, I mentioned to you that I, I, Elgato, I, I love Elgato and Eve 
like Eve, like uh, the Eve family of smart devices, I think are really impressive right now. Hmm. Um, I had reason to, so Eve makes, so what, like what? It, they make stuff like, um, they make the Eve room, which is, you know, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how much you know about me, but I'm always interested in knowing what the humidity is for some reason. <laughs> Things like that, air quality. There's one called the Eve weather that can live outside and tell you what the weather is, but they also have amazing new ones with thread compatibility, uh, they have, they have like a door and window sensor that's really cool. So you not only get a door and window sensor out of that, but you get another little uh, node on your thread network, which is cool. Uh, and then, like I say, what's the other one? Oh, Eve Energy is my go-to now for smart plugs. And it all works together. Um, it's I find it all very easy to use. I think it's super cool. But what's funny is, um, as owing to a strange coincidence of like getting more into next-level smart home stuff, combined with doing some mostly sort of um, abortive, but, you know, uh, I don't know. One of my projects has been, like, doing more stuff with video. And what does that mean? Well, I mean, <laughs> the irony is I ended up mostly just using my iPhone to do video, but I needed good lighting. So what did I do? I got some Elgato lights. They make these really good lights. They make mm -hmm. key lights and spotlights and these. Uh, hair, I have a hair light behind me now, like a gentleman. And But they also make all kinds of other great stuff. They make a green screen that I got that's really neat. But the thing of theirs that I'm really excited, this is so dorky, they make this thing called the multi-mount. And it sounds like you might know, I might have heard of this. I have seen, I saw this product when I was looking into some gear for Twitch streaming, so similar to you. Um, and I'm... I got a little bit confused by it, if I'm being honest. <laughs> it looks like Dr. Octopus. Yeah. Like a skinny doctor. Yeah. I mean, and it's not by any means unique. But as with uh, as we've talked about a little bit offline, there's sometimes something that seems like a commodity product. You end up getting like a real preference for this one and not those ones. Mm -hmm. And this one's just really neat. So long and short of it is you get this thing called, it starts with the multi-mount, which is, which, which um, you know, uh, has a little screw mechanism to clamp it to your desk and it's got uh two telescoping and so the idea is you mount stuff on it like it could be cameras could be lights could be whatever and all the stuff works with other stuff so you start out with this telescoping thing that you clamp to your desk which is cool and they're all about the these ball joints the kind of thing you know what sort of like on a 12 south ipad thing you know you get that little grommet thing you screw the little dingus onto there and then you got this ball joint that can move around freely and something like 360 degrees but it's not just one of those it's multiples of those so you can you can get straight long arms that attach to the side like sideways attached to the pole right you can get short you can get short ones you can get long ones but then you can combine it, it is essentially like lego or as jason would say micronauts you can just combine all of these little things together to make exactly what you need and you know i have this tub full of you know uh stuff for use with cameras and mics you know, all the different kinds of things that you could attach to other things. And I just send you a photo of this. So like right now, the thing that I use as a mount for my camera is a multi-mount attached to like a camera cold shoe, which goes to a double ball joint, which goes to a Joby, uh, you know, what's that called? Gorillapod, you know, mm -hmm. one of those mounts. And then I have this really, really great actual mount by this company called Ulanzi, which I had first thought was one of those made up Amazon fake companies. But it's actually this beautiful, beautifully made mount that you screw your phone into. So now I have this like total mobility stuff, and that's how my iPad is hanging. My iPad is hanging off the arm of a, of a multi mount. It's just a really neat way you could you could put your uh, you could put your lights onto your Elgato lights onto there. You could have a monitor uh, up there. You know, like I have a monitor for my Black Magic camera that can that can live up there. 
And uh, I don't know. It is, it's like it's Lego for stuff with holes, basically. This looks pretty cool. So, like, I do have, like, I have a couple of their key lights, and I have them on their mm-hmm. individual stands. And that can take up quite a lot of space on the desk when you oh, have absolutely. the two stands. But I like this one because it can clamp. So you can get a, that's, you can get a right. stand for it. But what I really want to do is just clamp it. I actually might get one of these. I need to sit down oh, yeah. and like really look at it because it's like a, how many <laughs> attachments do I need? I don't know. I know. I went overboard. Uh, but no, they have like a little, it's, it's almost like buying a Synology. They have like a configurator. We're like, well, what kind, of, what kind of dork are you? Oh, I'm a streaming dork. Show me all the streaming dork ideas. <laughs> but if you want to be like have stuff like an overhead camera, this makes that a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know what it really does? It encourages you, this sounds, again, dorky, but it encourages you to think in more than a couple dimensions. Uh-huh. Because instead of just going like, how high or low in the air near my eyes will this go? You have a lot of options now, especially if you have a couple arms on there that with stuff that's not too heavy. Yep. You can think much more creatively. In my case, about finally getting over the top of my monitor so that the camera was someplace that was comfortable and had a good eye line, which is difficult to do if you all, your only option is up and down. You know, it's, I don't know, yep. it's, it's kind of neat. It's been fun to play with. I like stuff where I can uh, do something with my hands. Keeps, keeps me out of trouble. I will agree with you, actually. Like, Elgato is one of my <clears throat> kind of favorite companies at the moment. Like, mm-hmm. they remind me a little bit of DJI in that DJI completely own drones, Right. There's just right. there's just nobody that other companies come along and they try and do a thing and then DJI just makes a better version if they haven't already got a better version in the works. And I feel like Elgato are just continuing to stretch out into different areas of mm-hmm. content creation, like tools for content creators, and they make just excellent products. I mean, and now it's like a full on like they they keep acquiring these companies too right like they make <laughs> right. I, I find them to be a very intriguing company right now they're doing a lot of cool stuff i think yeah i agree sometimes you see a company like that and it feels like they're doing the opposite of what algato does where it's mm-hmm. like you know especially in the smart home space where you're like well you make you make a thing for like um turning off your hose you know but you also make like high, you know super high end speaker cables and you're like i don't understand what, what where you're going with this but I don't love that word prosumer, but for example, you take something like a camera tripod, like for camera tripods, like if you're just messing around, man, you probably don't even need a tripod, but if you get a tripod, you can get by Mm -hmm. with like a a $16 Amazon tripod, but I finally bought like a halfway decent tripod, like not like, you know, it's not like a Wes Anderson tripod, but I, I can't believe the difference. Like using it, it feels so much more solid. Uh, it, it's just, I don't know. It makes me feel like I, I uh, it improves my posture a little bit because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, like I'm going to take this more seriously. I'm going to put this away and store it well. I'm going to like keep it, all that kind of stuff. And I feel like with the Elgato stuff, especially stuff like this multi-mount, multi-mount's by no means a unique entry into the market. It's just that it is, it's better than a lot of other ones and it yep. does work together. Yeah, you end up trusting that company a little more. Good company. Thumbs up. Have you got any software stuff that's intriguing you right now? I do. I well, yeah. I mean, I'm so basic. Um, we've, I think, yeah. You and I have talked about this on Slack. I can't tell you how much every day I continue to be delighted by Descript. The, yeah, you are. I'm in deep. I'm the in deep person that I know that uses this, right? Like, I know a lot of people who work <laughs> in the audio space, and this is an audio editing tool that has a lot of interesting stuff that it can do. You're the only person that I know that uses it, but you really use it. 
and it is intriguing. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I just real quick. So for folks who haven't heard of this, I learned about this through Adam Lissagor, who had done one of his famous, wonderful commercials, really good commercial for Descript. What is Descript? Well, you know, for most of us who are doing stuff with um, primarily audio, but some video, like you're going to need an app, like even like GarageBand, where you got swim lanes. But most people are using Logic, right? Most people who are editing podcasts are using Logic, correct? I feel like at a certain point, yeah, it's going to be one of those two, GarageBand or Logic. Well, GarageBand, the current GarageBand does not play well with podcasts as a thing anymore. Mm -hmm. That's why I was using the version from, I want to say, 2013 Mm -hmm. until it was just no longer, it was, you know, it wasn't 64-bit or whatever. So, so Descript, though, is, it's such a weird app. I'm not recommending this. I'm just saying I love it more than my family. Uh, It's, if if, if you could (laughs) check it out and see what you think, but it does several very novel things. One of the things is that you take some audio, the way I would use it, like coming from things like GarageBand or, or Logic. Say I've recorded, the, the example that I do every Monday, I record a podcast with John Roderick where I just, we record both sides. You toss it into Descript. And when the first thing that's interesting is when you throw that in and it says, do you want to transcribe this? And you're like, yes, please. What? Yes. So they have an AI-based transcription service that turns that audio into what looks like one swim lane of of uh of waveforms but guess what above that is a microsoft word or sorry bad example a text pro- uh, word processor like transcription it looks like a script you see john said this merlin said that etc etc it's not 100 percent, but it's pretty good now that's pretty neat like you get pretty okay good transcription you can certainly recognize what's happening but then it gets good first of all that swim lane that looks like one swim lane that's actually all of your tracks it's just showing it to you as multicolored waveforms visually. At any point, you can right, right click or control click on that and go edit and actually go in the same way you would in Logic, go on, you know, delete parts. But here's the, here's, the, here's the marquee feature that is actually amazing, is you can edit the text of the transcript. And when you edit the text of the transcript, that's reflected in the audio. So if you want to remove silence or you want to remove a word, you can do all of that right up, like, like it's a word processor. And it does a really capable job of that. Now, if you don't like exactly where it thought that edit should be, you can always go in. It's non-destructive. So you can drag a little bit left or right to fix that. You can drag in other audio. And I don't want to go on about this, except to say y'all might want to check this out. It's become so huge. I've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum on Slack, because I use it for so many things that are not the production of a podcast, Right, so uh, yes, I do Roderick on the line like that because I don't want to edit a podcast. I'm not a monster. I'm not Jason Snell. I just want the thing to go up on the internet. <laughs> but so that's great. That's great for that. It's perfect for that. Uh, yesterday, remember when I was really late giving Jim the ads for reconcilable mm-hmm. differences? All I do is pop open Descript and you create what's called a composition. I went in and recorded them right there. Hit a button, exported everything. I can export it to Wave and then bring it into Forecast if I want to make it into a podcast. But Mike, here's the money shot. This is what I really love is. Every show that I do, I have the sole or primary role, I would say, well, kind of with, yeah, do it by Friday too, of like coming up with the titles that seem good and, you know, finding links to things mm-hmm. and, you know, generating in the case of reconcilable differences, writing the show notes eventually, right? So I always just toss the audio for anything I've done into there. You cannot even believe how much easier this makes everything. So anybody, hi, I'm Merlin. If you've ever heard me on a podcast, some, there's a bit that I do sometimes where I'll say something that I regard as funny and then, and then kind of mutter the word title. Guess what? That <gasps> now enables me to go in and find everywhere I ever had a title mostly. That's clever. 
That's not all the time. And you don't want to be too cute. But Mike, yeah. how many times, how many times, as Tim Robinson says, how many times has this happened to you? You're reporting, recording a podcast and you make some vague, oh, this, oh, believe me, this is John Syracuse's stock and trade. John is very good at generating work for his co-hosts. Oh, <laughs> we'll put that in notes. Oh, we'll, we'll put, is that, who will put that in notes? <laughs> we will, who? will we? <laughs> oh, why do I bother telling you that the episode is staged on the Relay CMS and you can put in links like, a, like an adult? No, I got to find everywhere John Syracuse promised to put in, I don't know, he likes to play a video game where you wear a dress and, and put cursed swords into a vault. I don't know what it's called. Mm-hmm. And everywhere that John or me or whomever says things like, We'll put it in show notes. I'll find that video. I think I read an article about that. Well, guess what? It's all text in Descript. So text means search. So I go in and I look for anywhere. Look for the word notes. Look for the word video. Look for the word article, et cetera. And it's not perfect, but that's a real good way of making that so much easier. And then you've seen this on, on Slack as well. Um, so, uh, I, I, I kid, but you know, he is my worst friend. I'll go to Syracuse and I'll say, Hey, look, here's the titles I found. Here's, you know, go ahead and edit away in the CMS. And you know, you've seen what I do. I drop in an MP3 of every time I captured a title. I also went in and highlighted that text in Descript such that I could say, grab every highlight, make a new composition called titles, export that. Cause John is like me has a terrible memory and now he can hear in context everywhere that a title came up. It's that fast. It's that yeah, easy. Yeah. This is the thing that, that impresses me the most of it. Cause like sometimes you have your title and John will be like, I don't remember that. And then you yeah. just drop in a link. With, <laughs> it's like, this is yes. the exact moment. It's so like when your up. Instacart shopper sends you a photo of a shelf. Like, yeah, I guess it's helpful. I don't know. <laughs> they don't have any good. bread. What do you want? <laughs> but anyway, I don't want to go on, but, um, you know, it's uh, there's a thing Alexandra and I talk about sometimes. Well, one of the running bits on Dubai Friday is there are so many things in life that we need a word for, like a sniglet. We don't have a word for that. I need a word for the shame of adding items to uh, an online order to get free shipping. I need a name for that terrible phenomenon. Why did I buy a pound of shrimp? Oh, I had to get to $35. I am the worst. I need a name for that. One thing I need a name for is things like software and services that I have almost no reason to, to need or use, but I love using like that ASCII art generator monodraw that, uh, that we talked about a, a couple weeks ago. But what's neat about Descript is if I didn't have a reason to use Descript, which I gratefully do, and it helps me so much in my theoretical work, even if I didn't have a reason to use this, I would use this. When I very first got it, I did it to make supercuts of um, Mabim Bam and Blank Check. Because mm-hmm. um, again, now I can go through and find every time in every Mabim Bam best of episode that somebody said the word boys. And I can make a supercut of every one of those mentions. Or I can, every time that David Sims on Blank Check goes, oh boy, I can find all of those. Yeah, it's a cool. joy to do. It's the same feeling you've got where like, like the first time you ever use a scanner, like back in 1991 was the first time, or ni- 1990 probably, first time I ever used a scanner, I was like, this is magic. How did, how did the pictures of words go into the machine and then turn into text? Well, this is like that, but it's for speech and it's, it's a playground, because and they're constantly improving it. Yes, it now works with video, right? And and if you, it also has a functionality called overdub, where you can have it learn your voice and simulate your voice. I so if hate you want to change, it's well, it scares me so much, be, Merlin. They're trying to be responsible about oh. it, but you know. Um, and then, but it also will do stuff like if you change something, uh, like it'll try, it will try to adjust the speed of the video so that it accommodates the at least the amount of time. Yeah. If, if you're doing video, but let's say you just have to go in and you, 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 uh, you know, you biff the offer code, 
you know, mm-hmm. and uh, you could go in and fix that. Anyway, long story short, sorry to go on, but this is this is reflective of how much I just treasure using this app. And I'm I'm just always so excited. Obviously, I'm excited about things like drafts. What what Greg is doing with that and constantly just grinding to make that better and better. What Gus does with Acorn. There's all these apps that are like, why would I use anything else for that? But then there are also still people out there swinging for the fences. And it makes me really happy. And I hope they don't get acquired and get it ruined by Spotify or something. I have used Descript for a couple of things in the past. Like there was one episode of Cortex where I was convinced there was a curse word I hadn't removed. (laughs) <laughs> you went and did a search? Yeah, I dropped it into Descript, oh, the, the, the translation, and I did the search. And I had removed it. I had beeped it out. But that was like, that's really great. Like, I think the for me, I think I, I don't know if I value it as a audio editor, Mm-mm. which is, I think, a way Mm-mm, that they no. try and position it. I, I don't think that, you know, Command F, um, delete is going to produce a good sounding podcast. Yeah, you could do stuff like strip, like remove silences, but then that also means anything that it didn't recognize as a word, and a lot of the things I say aren't actually words. Yeah. Like, hmm. Like, it's gone. It, if you cut all that out, it's going to sound really overworked. It's going to sound very and it sounds terrible. Yeah. Like, and also at the same time, like the transcription stuff is good, but it does not produce automatically a transcription that's worth publishing. <laughs> it totally does not. Right? Absolutely not. But you can do interesting things with it. It's just, you know, marketing is marketing and, and they put their foot, their best foot forward in certain circumstances. You can do these things, but it's it then it's not reliable enough for that stuff. However, you can do right. really cool stuff with it, like all the things that you've mentioned. But these are like ancillary that's a good tasks. Way to put it. To but then the other the other part that I, I don't have a reason to use, but I think is interesting, is there's all this team stuff, which keeps improving. Um, so stuff like if you're on a team of people working on this, mm-hmm. uh, you can have things like sort of review and approve. But and then they just keep adding, last thing, they just keep adding things that just delight me. I forget what the key command for this is. It's a chord. But jump to the next edit, jump to the previous edit. That's probably mm. the kind of thing you could do in Logic that I oh, don't know boy. how to do. Yeah. But I spend, I always, I'm so, as much as I could care less about editing a podcast, I am a little bit anal about lining up stuff like when the music hits, when the ding mm-hmm. hits at the end of Roderick, and, you know, making sure I fade out the beginning in a way that has the right amount of silence of John saying hello or whatever. And I do go and, re- it seems... <laughs> I'm really not picky about this stuff, but it seems unbelievable to me when people put out a podcast with like 40 seconds of silence in it. And it's like, oh, dude, like, did you not go to every transition and make sure it was okay? And this makes that real easy. So anything you can do to make your work exciting, you know, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's like a hundred year app that comes along and changes your game and makes you excited about doing something you used to despise. So double thumbs up to uh, Descript. Lyrebird and Descript, yeah. Tell me a, a couple more. Okay, you got it. You got it. I'll, I'll do some uh, odds and sods here. Um, hardware, software. You know, I, I, I found myself typing this and going, God, this has got to be the most boring thing I could possibly mention. But it's the boringness of this, pro- this product that makes me love it. And I imagine you've got to have some of these sitting around. Samsung makes these little solid-state uh, hard drives. Oh, yeah. That are, they're basically... A little bigger than a credit card and the thickness of probably six credit cards. Mm-hmm. Right? Approximately. They got mm-hmm. the blue ones, they got the black ones. Um, the T5, I, right? I, T5 and T7, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're USB C. Uh, and uh, 
I have come to really love and rely on these things. I mean, they're not crazy cheap, but you're going to get, what is it? I want to say like 200 bucks for an 8 terabyte SSD, something like that. Something. Yeah, I think these are the The T7 is 300, I think. But the T5 is, I think, yes, exactly. You can, as Snell says, you can tape it to the back of your Mac yep. and forget about it. You can use it as a thing you just keep in a bag because you're going to need it someday. But listen, friends, get your heads around this. It's a it's an eight terabyte SSD. It's bananas. If I have really big movies at the office that I want to bring home to put on, I, I mean, I'd rather not have to burn every bit of bandwidth I've got. You know, having Synologies just do something that mundane. So sometimes I'll bring something home like that. But yeah, absolutely. That, that is my um, that is, one of those hangs off the back of my Mac Mini now for Time Machine. One of my Times Machine. Um, I just want to mention that because, first of all, for somebody of my advancing years, that is a technological wonder that you can get an, a solid-state hard drive of that size for that amount of money. And then once you have them, you find sure find uses for them. It's great for doing video on the Blackmagic or my Canon camera. That's It's, you know, uh, unparalleled for that. But I just want to mention it because, you know, we all struggle with these little, the mundane parts of our life. And can you find the hammer that you can live with? Well, this is definitely the hammer that I can live with. That's that's one that's kind of boring, but mm-hmm. you ever heard of Home Pass? Home, home Pass? Pass? No, from I the people who make is. Home Run and stuff like that. Oh yeah, I've come across this. Yes, yes. I yes, didn't yes, think yes, I yes, needed yes. this. I scoffed at this. I publicly scoffed at the idea of this product, and then I bought it the other day. And now I wish I'd had it for five years. Home Pass does does a cool thing. Well, on the on the face of it, it does one thing and does it well. But it's a very cool thing, which is it keeps track of all your HomeKit codes for you. And I thought I was doing a good job with that using Apple's Photos app. But I did not do a good job with that, Mike. I, I have the codes, but I don't know what they're for. Like, I didn't always <laughs> write it down. With this app, which you buy once and then is available, $3.99, I believe. It's available on all your Apple platforms once you've got it. You get this app. And boy, if I, what do I say five years ago? Because if, ha- if I had had this, even up two months ago, when I was moving from, from Wemo stuff to Eve stuff, it would have been so great to have this. What do you do? You say, okay, well, do you want to? Do you already have a device that you want want to get the code for? That's that's obviously the big one for me. You say, okay, well, get permission to go to HomeKit, right? And then uh, say, okay, this is the Eve room over my desk, and you take a photo of it, and now it's in there, and it remembers it. You can even then hit a button to add it to an NFC tag for use in the future. Mm-hmm. It's it's so handy, but if you're starting out with this, if you're just getting going with HomeKit, please get this app because it works with HomeKit, meaning when you are adding it to your HomeKit system, you can take the photo right then, set it and forget it, you're done, it's all captured. Uh, this will not matter to you until a day it super matters to you. So you think, why would you need to store the codes? Well, I'll tell you why. Once you've set everything up and you've plugged something <laughs> yeah. in and it's underneath the desk and something's uh-huh. going weird and you want to reset it, you have to uh, get, right. climb under the desk, unplug it to get the code. Right? <laughs> like, if you're lucky, if you're lucky. Like, yeah. okay, so like, but then, you know, the great example of those is Wemo. We're, uh, God, I'm so mad at Belkin and Wemo, they really screwed that pooch so bad over the years. It's gotten stupider and stupider, and I've finally given up. But anyway, with Wemos, there was a time where, first of all, like you said, it's not the size of a one plug. Mm-hmm. It's like the size of a baby goat. It's just mm-hmm. this huge thing. You and I was using rat tails just to get it onto a power strip, Mike. I had like I it, it looked like a Medusa of pain. 
and but anyhow, but guess where they put it? Do do do. It's on the back, right next to the plug. That when it's supposed to be plugged in, and you're like, oh God, really? Now Eve, Eve, Eve stuff. They're real good about putting it like in a place, but there are innumerable kinds of devices where if you didn't keep that little piece of paper, you are SOL. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, that's a dumb one, but I really liked it. I got one more that's really stupid. I want to okay. say I heard about this from, I'm almost positive it was Dan Frakes. And um, sort of along the lines of Descript, as in like, what is this black magic? Dan Frakes uh, saw this app called Brickit. Have you seen this? I don't think so. Brickit. Brickit is, as I understand it, is an app made by fans of Lego uh, building block bricks. And Brickit, uh, I can't believe this works. And I did not believe it worked until I tried it. Okay, try this. If you, if anybody out there, you know, especially people with with dumb babies like me, you've probably got butt tons of Legos. You know, everybody reaches a, a fit of peak. It's not like you're going to keep your Apollo on your desk all the time. Sometimes you just have giant boxes and boxes and boxes of old Lego pieces. You spread this spread this out on the floor. You take a photo of it, and it scans the entire thing and tells you what bricks you have and what you could make with it. No, it's impossible. Try it. It's, it's, you're looking at it, you're going, okay, this is cute. This is cute. This is going to be like one of those, one of those like <laughs> basic misdirection party tricks where you pull a quarter out of my ear or whatever. It goes, you go, okay, look at the point of the floor. Do it. And it goes, do, 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 skin, skin, skin. You have 117 Legos. You could make this dog. <laughs> How cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. It's called, it's called Brick It. Um, check it out. Oh and I, again, God. it's a community-based, we're not affiliated with Lego app. I am, I'm going to guess, I imagine it is leveraging some bananas library that's out there that you can do, do something cool with. And they, I'm guessing they adapted it to this. If I somebody mean, has a better you've got to assume that the people building this, they just want to be hired by Lego. <laughs> sure. Right? Like everybody's dream is to be one of those Lego yeah. like, um, residents who gets to make fountains at Disney the, World or Like whatever. the designers or whatever they're called. Like they have that YouTube channel, yeah. which is really nice. Like, yes, cause yes, I th- yes. Is this looks like a free app? Yes. I mean, it, it's well, and surely. I, 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 I'm, I'm not here to say it's perfect. I can't say it's perfect, but here's uh-huh. what I did. I, I went into the closet. I grabbed two heaping handfuls of old Lego, many of which are from the Friends collection, which any any uh, Merlin Man stan will know is my favorite. I love the Creator series, and I love the Friends series. Friends are the ones that are for girls, that has all the good stuff. You can make a hot dog stand, and it's so fun. Anyway, two heaping handfuls. I laid down like a, like a towel. And just and you spread them out real thin so that each one is visible and exposed. And I, like I say, I can't say that it's perfect, but I did take the same amount of Lego, mix it around, make it flat three times, and it was within five Legos of like 117 three times. That's wild. It counted more or less correctly three times. So I would even say plus or minus 10% would be bananas good. You should try it. It's really fun. I'm going to download this and just, <laughs> okay. just throw some Lego on the ground and see what happens. Throw it on the ground, man. I mean, you know, it's really, though, you know, if, if you ever have kids ending up in your life, watch out for those brown Legos because, boy, they'll take a man out. They will really take a man out. They hurt a lot when you step on a brown Lego. The brown ones hurt more, and I couldn't even tell you why. Maybe it's sepsis. I don't know. Merlin, man, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Mike, for everything you do, for uh, for your... For your your audio work and uh, being one of the suits, uh, it's my favorite podcast network. It's uh, it's it's a joy to have uh, proximity to you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.
This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform to build your presence online and run your business. They have everything you need from websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics. Squarespace have got you covered. They combine cutting-edge design with world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and make your ideas a reality. What I love about Squarespace is it is the all-in-one platform, right? There is nothing to patch. There's nothing to upgrade. They have 24-7 customer support. You can grab a domain name. You can use SEO and email marketing tools. They really have it all. They have these beautiful templates that use drag and drop tools that you can customize to make your own. So you can make it look and feel how you want. You can change the settings, the products you have on sale with just a few clicks. And everything's optimized for mobile as well. So it's going to look great on every device. You can use Squarespace to turn your big idea into a new website, give it that place to shine. You can showcase your work with their portfolio designs, publish your blog posts, promote your business, announce an event, and so much more. I have used Squarespace for so many of these things myself in the past. I find it so easy to go there and actually get what I want at the end of it. I would be really lost without Squarespace. So go there yourself right now. Go to squarespace.com upgrade and you can get a free trial with no credit card required. Then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code upgrade and you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com upgrade. And then when you sign up, use the offer code upgrade and you will get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for the continued support of this show and Relay FM. Mike. Oh. Mike. Oh. Hello. Hi, Jason. Um, oh. sorry. Yeah. Hi, Jason. Do some hashtag, hashtag Ask Upgrade, right? Yeah. Hashtag I've been waiting upgrade. here for up, Ask Upgrade. Come on. What's going on? Nothing. Get, snap to it, Mike. Ryan asks, do you ever re-listen to podcast episodes? Not the ones that you appeared on per se, but do you just do you ever re-listen to stuff? I mean, the, listen, I definitely don't listen to ones that I appear on, which is also weird, right? Because that means we talked about this, our listeners know remember more about what we say than we do because mm-hmm. we don't go back and sometimes mm-hmm. listeners do i very 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 rarely ever listen re-listen to a podcast episode it it has happened occasionally with like a particular favorite but there's so many podcasts out there that i struggle to even keep up with the new episodes of my favorite shows so i have re-listened to a couple of flop house episodes that are kind of mm-hmm. classics somebody mentions it one what i actually prefer is when somebody's done like a video, like an animated version. Yeah, like they're, they're my way that I I relive the funniest moments of the Flop House is that there's a Flop House YouTube channel where this guy Tony Oker does these um these animations of classic bits, and uh those I will watch again and again. But that's the uh, that's the most uh reliving of a podcast I usually do. I have uh some shows that I have listened to like a couple of times, like they're more uh, narrative. Yeah. Right? So it's kind of like reading a book again or watching a movie sure. again, you know? Um, and I've and like you, right? There are some shows, some of my favorite shows of all time. Like I have an episode that I might have listened to multiple times. Um, but outside of that, for most of the stuff that I do listen to, there kind of isn't really much of a need, I think, to listen again uh, for yeah. the majority of podcasts that I enjoy. I do appreciate that some people do it. I know that there's at least one podcast that I'm involved with that gets re-listened to by people every year, which is there's an incomparable episode mm-hmm. that is the uh, the human centipede. <laughs> and uh, it is our uh, holiday music episode. Right, okay. And I have heard from, I mean, it's dozens of people who say that it is their um, go-to holiday 
listening tradition is they listen to this podcast episode that we did like back in 2013. Um, and so, and, and as a result, I have like gone back to the master files and generated like the highest quality version of it, uh, using modern technology. We love high quality uh, the un, versions. The unedited, yeah. well, people were listening to the unedited version of it. Right. And I put a huge amount of work into the edited version and then people are like, nope, we want the unedited version, which is really depressing. Right. Because it's like, but I, I, I tried to have it make more sense and be this edited version. People are like, nope, I just want to hear the whole thing go off the rails and it's funny. So I went back and I like, I denoised those tracks and I like I did an official we'll put a link in the show notes mm-hmm. enjoy it over the over the holidays a uh, crackling fire and whatever else you can listen to this episode where we're terrible and say terrible things about holiday songs but but it's fun to be that because people check in every year and are like oh, I'm listening to it and uh, that's fun I'm glad people get that out of it I haven't done that with anything I don't have a, a designated podcast listen that I do on a regular basis. Chris wants to know, how do you use tech for following and watching baseball at home, on the go, and at the ballpark? You want to take this one, Mike? Yeah. <laughs> I, when I go out to the ball game, uh-huh. I make sure that I have my special uh, baseball communicator mm-hmm. with me at all times. It's a ba- It's literally a baseball that talks to you. Yeah. And it's like, so, you don't understand what's Mike, going on here, so let me help you. Let me tell you how the baseball works. Um. How do I use tech for following and watching baseball? I mostly watch baseball on regular TV because it's not available in apps for my local team. When uh, I want to watch a baseball game and my local team isn't playing, I use MLB at bat. Uh, I use the Apple TV app, which just got worse, but it still works. I have the like app. many Apple TV apps recently. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. I, uh, I will check in with my favorite team, like looking at the score and stuff. Or even playing uh, the audio of like the radio broadcast or something um, at the ballpark. Not so much, other than like occasionally I'll look to see like if there's a highlight or there's something I missed when I was out getting a hot dog or something like that. But I don't know. I mean, the tech has made it. My favorite thing about tech and baseball is that I can watch those other games, and I will sometimes put those on in the background when I'm working. Um, or if I'm even glunch or something like that, if there's a game going on, I'll just pop it on. Or if the Giants aren't playing and there's another game in the evening, I might pop that on for a while, uh, see different teams, go see close games or interesting things going on. And that part has been the most fun is, is buying the MLB package and watching, um, out of market games. But, um, otherwise I just, you know, I'm using the app to, if, if there's a game I didn't catch, I will watch the highlights like the next morning or, or that evening if it's a day game on my iPad. That's about it. I would assume that Chris was also interested to know if you use any apps or anything to score games when you're at the park. Uh, no, no. When I go to the ballpark, I do like to keep score, and I have a uh, a paper scorebook for that, which I just I, I have two of them from a bookstore that is out of business, uh-huh. <laughs> and I filled one up. One The last game we went to this year, uh, the, the first game we went to this year was the last page in that book. So that book has got a lot of great memories in it, a lot of great history. But um, now I just have the remaining pages in the other book. And then I'm going to have to get a new score book, which is uh, that's a, a problem for another day. I'm going to have to figure out what I want in a new score book. But I do that on paper. I did it for my daughter's softball team. I used an app because it generated stats and stuff and I could email it to the coaches and stuff like that. But And that was fun. But like for watching a game just for fun, it... The, the reason I do it is because it's paper and pen and it's just sort of fun. 
and focuses me and is also a souvenir at the end. And Brian asks, if Apple removes the lightning port from the iPhone, do you think it would live on in things like the keyboard and trackpad charge, like charging method? Or do you think they would also replace that with USB-C as well? I think that once lightning disappears from the iPhone, it will start disappearing from everything. I actually think it would go the other way around. I feel like it might be lost on the iPhone. Mm. Well, okay. So the premise here is if Apple removes the lightning port from the iPhone, what will happen to the rest of the stuff? I think you might be right. Although to be fair, they did just release new trackpads and keyboards and their lightning charger. Still there. Yeah, that's a good that that's an interesting thought. So while logically I might say that maybe it would be the other way around, maybe they would keep it as a weird peripheral charger for longer, but I would just assume that the iPhone would, would lose it last because it makes perfect sense to have keyboards and trackpads charged by USB-C because they have loads of stuff that charges by USB-C I know. now. I don't, I don't know what is up with Lightning and where it's going. It does feel like kind of unnecessary, but we have it. So, I, I mean, I would love to be able to just... And the thing is, the moment they do it, it's still going to be years of transition, right? So that's mm-hmm. that's the thing is I would like to be in that trans- transition because I'd like to get to the other side where I don't have all these lightning cables around. But that's just how it is. So, If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on an episode of Upgrade, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade. I use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord, which you can get access to if you subscribe to Upgrade Plus. Go to getupgradeplus.com and you'll get longer episodes of Upgrade every single week with no ads as well. Uh, I would like to thank Privacy, Squarespace, Calm, and Hello for their support of this episode. If you want to find Jason online, you can go to sixcolors.com, and he is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. I would like to thank all of the guests I had on this week's episode. You can find what? links to their projects in the show notes. What? What? No, I don't, no, nothing. Wait, did you hear okay. that? No, there's nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. No. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. 